0: Here's the reality. Emergencies usually strike without warning. We're surprised when the stock market crashes or power goes out. Certainly with earthquakes, there's no warning. These things happen. And when it's breaking news, it's too late to prepare. Now you're scrambling and panicked. Best thing to do for natural disasters or emergency situations while things are still calm. So ask yourself right now, could you feed yourself or your family for two weeks with the food you have at home at this moment? If not, it's time to act and secure an emergency food supply. I use my Patriot Supply and you should too. A two-week food kit will get you started. This week, it's on sale for only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsoutherncents.com or call 888-441-7290. These food kits include meals that last up to 25 years in storage. So order now and prepare yourself so there are no surprises just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com forget about it. if you can't remember the phone number 888-441-7290 and you can't remember preparewithsouthernsense.com you know the name of the show it's southern sense put a dash in the middle southern-sense yeah dot com and click on strike on my patriot warning all right, and welcome to another adventure here on Southern Sense. and oh Lord, I have no idea what we're in for today. You're listening to us live currently on Blog Talk Radio and Facebook, also up on High Plains Pundit. Uh, I know we're not uh, actively live on SHR Media. We're having problems getting back up on YouTube, but we're doing the best we can. So you're here listening to Southern Sense. I'm Annie, the hostess with the most the radio chick, along with my debonair, my intellectual and handsome co-host, <laughs> Curtis C.S. Bennett. <laughs> Good afternoon. Curtis, how are you today?
3: I tell you, as you know, I'm broadcasting live from the city of brotherly love, in other words, Philadelphia. And I'm telling you, I miss the rural roads back down in Florida because uh, up here, traffic is bumper to bumper. And actually, I can't wait to get back on (laughs) I-95 and head south.
0: So and of course, you'll be stopping I'm off for another visit here. <laughs>
4: yeah.
0: Oh, man. Well, um you If, you if anyone you. is trying to get into the, I'm just letting everyone know that if anyone is attempting to get into the chat room, and you're listening in, Blog Talk Radio. The chat room is down. They are currently working on it. Uh, I've been checking every few minutes just to see if it's come back up. Once it comes back up, I'll let you know. Hopefully, it'll be before the end of the show, uh, because I always miss all the comments you guys give me. But um, you can also try to go over to Facebook. I do have it up on Facebook. So I know a lot of you people uh, don't like Facebook, but it's the chat that I have available to us right now. I'm having a problem with the speaker, so I can't pull that one up. I I did something stupid. I told you guys that my computer crashed a couple of weeks back. That was the main one I broadcast off of. That's when it locked up just as the show was ending. So I went and did my little fingers through the walking, and the first guy that answered the phone said he'd come to the house to fix it was the first guy I hired. Right now, I've got a very expensive doorstop sitting on my desk. So I had to switch to the new computer a little sooner than I wanted and he screwed up the settings and that. So it took me a total of the entire week to get this much back up and running. And I, I, God bless the people. I got to say this. I had chatted with someone over at Skype, and you should try doing this too, Curtis. If you go into the help and ask for a chat, they can walk you through your computer and help you get back up on Skype. This guy spent over two hours last night with me. And we finally got it up running Um, the people over at xsplit that i used to broadcast the video again almost two hours and they they went and walked everything through to me and i'm not a computer dummy i set up all the equipment myself it's just that some of these settings were so badly messed up i needed their help and you know what The people at XSplitter and Skype, God bless you guys. I mean, there's a lot of hard work. And this guy was so sweet and so pleasant and so patient. Unbelievable. And I was pulling my hair out. My hair wasn't gray before. Yes, I (laughs) dyed it. It definitely is gray now. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so. I want to welcome everyone that's listening in. I see there's a couple of people in the studio. Uh, like I said, as soon as we can get the chat on BTR back up again, I'll let you know. Uh, but the chat is over on Facebook, so if you want to enjoy this, I'll try to keep my eye on that also. So I want to say hi to everyone over there. Oh, man. All right, we got ourselves a, a busy, busy show. Uh, we to start off with Steve Carr. He's with the Alliance Group Marketing Um he seems to agree with AOC and Bernie Sanders about limiting interest rates at a certain percentage. Uh, that's going to be a very, very interesting conversation with this gentleman. Um, he was labeled as a Christian conservative, and then I looked at some of his websites. And we're going to have some interest, interesting conversations, to say the least. Um, so <laughs> the first Anyone of the that agrees to with AOC is suspect. And her yeah. uh, yep, gotcha. Uh, but we're also going to have um, Lisa Morris, and she and I have been, you know, online friends for quite a number of years. Um, she had wrote a book, Dying in Indian Country, and at that point in time, she had to use a pseudonym because of the threats against her life because of what she wrote in the book about her husband and her family and her experiences as a white woman on a Indian reservation. Um. Because of her activism, uh, she is now has been appointed a congressional appointee to the Alice Spotted Bear and Walter Soboloff Commission on Native Children. And uh, she wrote a very interesting letter to Senator Helskamp, uh about the Kavanaugh hearing and about the upcoming congressional hearings that she will be sitting in on. She's also going to be talking about voter fraud that is going on rampant, that votes are actually being stolen and people don't know it. Um, And then we're going to close off with someone that you've seen a lot on Fox News, Fox Business News, um, headline news, um, over on Town Hall, Kurt Schlichter. You see him a lot up with uh, Sean Hannity um, and a bunch of other people. Uh, He's going to be talking to us about the goings-on uh, lately, because now we've got uh, Mueller that came out uh, about the report where he didn't didn't say that Trump didn't commit a crime, <laughs> the doublespeak. He says one thing to the president and to Robert Barr, and then he says something else completely different in his speech yesterday. It was rather interesting to listen. I didn't catch the whole thing, but I caught uh, uh, bits and pieces of it. Um, well, you, so we were talking to, to him about that, about – you,
3: you have to wonder if, all along, um, Mueller could not bring any anything against Trump, or what was this all about to begin with? If we'll that's his we'll be getting into Richard.
0: that. Uh, yeah, I'm just looking at the clock, and I've got to get our dedication in. And people that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to U.S. Army National Guard Sergeant James Slape. He was killed by an IED on October 4th of last year, 2018, while serving during Operation Freedom Sentinel. And this is coming from several sources, including the New York Times. The Washington Today and JDNews.com. See if we can get this all in in time. It reads, The death of an Army soldier after a blast in southern Afghanistan on October 4, 2018, was the result of a series of oversights by a military unit that frequently used a small strip of desert as a patrol route and obstacles invasion post, prompting Taliban militants to bury explosives nearby. Military officials familiar with the matter said the death of the soldier, Specialist James A. Slap, cast an unwelcome spotlight on the United States' prolonged presence in Afghanistan. Despite the Pentagon's claims that American troops are mostly regulated to advising and assisting their Afghan counterparts they still undertake some of the same types of missions common at the height of the conflict. When more than 100,000 Western troops were deployed there, after the explosion that killed Specialist Slave, Taliban militants recovered part of his left leg and paraded it through a bazaar in the Garzmere district, according to officials. It was a grim reminder that even as the United States' court's peace talks with this group. The Taliban continues to wage a brutal, unsparing war and to use the projection of violence as a demonstration of its influence and endurance. Specialist Slape, 23 of Moored Head City, New- North Carolina was the eighth American to die in Afghanistan in 2018. On October 4, a platoon from Alpha Company, 1st Battalion, 41st Infantry Regiment, drove roughly seven miles southeast of Camp Dwyer, an American forward operating base built in 2007 by the British military during its own frustrating campaign in Helmand Province. The patrol was stopped when one of its armored vehicles struck a roadside bomb. The explosion just before 10 a.m. destroyed the truck's tires and an axle, immobilizing it. No one was injured in that attack. The vehicle, known as a Max Pro, and weighing about 20 tons, came to rest on a seemingly innocuous desert ridge. But the ridge had become an important location for Americans, with a prominent view of the river valley below. It was a place where soldiers had previously stopped to intercept Taliban radio and cell phone traffic from nearby villages. Taliban fighters, for their part, apparently were watching back as units from the battalion carved easily discernible tire tracks in the soil. American patrols also bisected the ridge before returning to Camp Dwyer. With the American presence in Afghanistan in its 18th year, larger installations in the country, like Camp Dwyer, are well-known landmarks, and the surrounding terrain is well-trafficked by American troops, a fact well-understood by the militants. American ground units are typically trained to vary their patrol routes and not repeatedly stop at... Use the same places. Why this unit returned to the same observation point multiple times is not clear. After other American patrols there, the Taliban dotted the ridge with possible anti-personal mines and improvised explosive devices. The trap appeared to have been recently laid. In late September, another unit from the battalion stopped there and found no buried explosives, though the soldiers reported they were being watched. Later that October 4 morning, Specialist Slape, along with a quick reaction force, left Camp Dwyer and headed to the damaged Max Pro. As a bomb disposal technician, he was responsible for finding explosives and clearing a path to the damaged truck so that a recovery vehicle could tow it away and those inside could exit. Specialist Slap, a National Guard soldier, was assigned to the 430th Ordnance Company in Washington, North Carolina, an explosive ordnance disposal unit that had been in Afghanistan since April. The 430th had repeatedly requested better equipment and pre-deployment training, but was denied both, both because of the lack of funding according to documents obtained by the New York Times. Some of the equipment included tools often used when clearing buried landmines, and IEDs. According to two officials familiar with the unit's deployment, the 430 borrowed some equipment, like telescopic rifle sights and radios from other National Guard units before leaving the United States and received more items upon its arrival in Afghanistan, but still lacked the most advanced mine detectors that could locate bomb components that the Taliban used. That detector had been issued by many active duty bomb disposed units, including some not deployed to conflict zones. Specialist Slate had just finished checking around the rear of the Max Pro, allowing the soldiers inside to get out before starting to sweep around the front. Shortly before 1.30 p.m., he stepped on the bomb that would kill him. He was medically evacuated to the base hospital at Camp Dwyer, where he was pronounced dead. In the ensuing hours, a second response force arrived at the scene. The unit, a route clearance platoon, used a specially equipped vehicle that could scan the ground for roadside bombs and mines. At 5 p.m., it began a slow sweep toward the still-disabled Max Pro and the crater left by the bomb that killed the specialist. The Americans triggered two more explosions as they moved to clear the surrounding area, and the soldiers found at least two other explosives that did not go off. Specialist Slate's equipment was scattered across the ridge, and it would take until the next morning to pick up the pieces of his uniform, rifle, mine detector, wallet, and cell phone. Sometime after the Americans had left, the Taliban had recovered part of his leg, posting a picture of it and one of his boots on social media. James began his service to country early in his life as a member of both the Boy Scouts and the Cub Scouts of America, Unit 334, Glad Tidings Church. He continued down this path of dedication by participating in the NJ ROTC program at West Carteret. He joined the Army National Guard while still in his senior year of high school, then qualified for and competed, completed the rigorous EOD training at Elgin Air Force Base in 2015. James loved life, and he loved his friends and family. James was passionate about many things throughout his life. Many a day he would take off to the beach with his guitar in hand or a surfboard or maybe just spend time with friends. He loved sports and lettered both in cross-country and wrestling while attending West Carteret High School. He had a love of God and attended several different churches in Moorhead City and while he was training at Fort Jackson and Elgin Air Force Base. He met the love of his life, Sean Marie Eubanks, in 2017, and they married later that year. They knew when they married that they would have a tough road ahead with James leaving for Afghanistan less than a year into the marriage. Their love knew no bounds, and reached across the ocean to bind them together more each day. James is survived by his wife Sean, their four fur babies, Hunter, Lily, and Monkey, parents Jim and Trish Slate of Moorhead City, his brother, PV two, William Patrick Slate of Fort Jackson, South Carolina great-grandmother, Marie Braswell of Rocky Mount, grandparents' Colonel, retired, Frank Allen Faison of Danville, Virginia, Lynn and Chief, retired, William Richard Hyle of Chesapeake, Virginia. Today's show is dedicated to Sergeant Sleep. Is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve out there in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into its future, we also dedicate to them, to the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We can never thank them enough. And we dedicate to them a new song, as I pull it up, by Sailor Jerry. And I don't see it, so. I apologize. We'll have to use that at another time. But we will dedicate it by this song, My Name is America, by Todd Allen Herndon. May God bless each and every one. That is Todd Allen Harrington. My name is America. And before uh, we continue the show, I just want to make one mention of a news item that was on American military news. And U.S. personnel took possession of the remains of 55 U.S. troops killed in the Korean War on the 65th anniversary of the Korean War armistice on July 27, 2018. This past week, it has identified a total of six American troops from the 55 boxes of human remains from the 1950 to 53 Korean War that North Korean has handed over during the past year, even as the Pentagon has given up hope of recovering more of them in the near future. And uh, that is good that five more service members have been returned to their homes and families. And the song that I originally wanted to play by a uh, Sailor Jerry, I have now queued up, and these veterans that we now know are home with the family. We're going to play from Sailor Jerry, Hallelujah, Veterans Version. Alert Jerry, the Hallelujah veteran version, and uh, she will be a guest on our show in the upcoming weeks. Uh, so, I'm going to be looking forward to speaking with her. I do see callers in the studio. If this is my guest, please press one so that I know that you are there. Um, we are waiting for Steve Carr to call in. Um, looks like we do have one of our guests calling in a little bit early. Uh, so let's bring on because I do recognize the phone number. Good afternoon, Lisa. How are you today?
5: Now, this is Steve Carr, and I am a guest.
0: <laughs> oh, sorry. I wrote the number down next to Lisa's name. I apologize.
5: <laughs> That's right. Well, it's because she's going to be a more more guest than me. <laughs>
0: Oh, man. All right. Uh, just bear with me as I get my bearings on you. You threw me for a little bit there. <laughs> I still have the Not number. Like I said, I put the wrong phone number up on the screen. Um, and, um, uh Your guy, uh, James, had sent you over to us because you came up with an interesting uh, proposition that you happen to agree with. Uh, I always going to say her name wrong. Uh, AOC, I'm just going to blow that at <laughs> Bernie Sanders. Everyone knows who AOC is. Yeah. <laughs> About limiting the amount of interest that credit companies can charge. And it was an interesting proposition, um, but I found that it's not It's not in line with capitalism the way that they're proposing it. I had suggested to James something different, and he said it was a great idea. But let me hear from you why you support AOC and Bernie Sanders on this interest rate uh, issue.
5: Sure you bet. And and your name is Ann, correct?
0: Correct. And my co-host is Curtis.
5: Hi Curtis. Hey. Well, listen, we I, know? you know, <laughs> if, uh, anything that lines up with biblical Christianity, I'm for. I don't care if a liberal speaks it, a libertarian speaks it, A conservative speaks it. A communist speaks it. If it's in line with biblical Christianity, I'm for it. And the Bible is very clear about what it refers to as usury. Now, people may debate what a usurious rate is. Um, Historically, it's usually anything over about 4%. And as you know, Ann and Curtis, um, people are just getting crushed with these credit card rates and fees, late fees, uh, underpayment fees, overpayment fees, 33% interest sometimes. It's it's almost like a payday loan situation. Once they get in it, uh, it's almost impossible for them to get out of it. And uh, we have bank branches closing all over the place. We have payday loan centers springing up all over the place. It's basically a form of economic slavery since the Bible also says that the lender uh, or the borrower is slave to the lender. So um, I I guess I'm kind of a capitalist. Um, uh, I think it needs checks and balances you know, James chapter five talks about capitalism run amok where they're not paying their laborers a fair wage in the field, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think uh, that until just the last few decades, we have had anti-usury laws throughout the country, um, and it's a fairly recent development where we allow the egregious types of interest charges, 30, 35% sometimes uh, to stand. So if that makes me a socialist, I don't think so. I really don't see myself as one, but (laughs) does that make sense? Are you there? I think I need to call back because I can't hear anything. So I'll call right back.
6: Hello.
3: Yep, this is CS. I think we lost them. Uh, all
6: right.
0: Can you hear me, Curtis?
3: Yeah, Curtis. it's like you're going in and out.
0: I'm fading in and out. All right. Take over. Yeah, ex- all right. Let <sighs> me, let me try to call back in. Yeah,
6: we, all right.
3: Well, if you guys are still with us, I'm not sure. But anyway, technical problem. This is a Friday, and it seems like we tend to have such problems on on Fridays, the only day we can broadcast. But anyway, as we know, I'm going to talk a little bit about Uncle Joe. seems like he's up to his old antics again. Um, I think recently I saw saw a post where he's um, engaged in a group of people, and he goes... All and, right, Curtis, you know, Curtis I'm yeah, I'm back, yeah. Curtis.
0: All right, back. We've, we've uh, got a guest back in there. I, I don't know what happened. I got kicked out, and I think once I got kicked out, everyone else got kicked out. I apologize. Right. We also lost our Facebook connection, too, so... I don't know what is going on over here. I, blog talk radio is doing upgrades or whatever, and it's just screwing everyone up. I don't even know why. Anyway, it was mess up a what dream. Anyway, welcome back to Steve Carr. As you were explaining about usury, um, I've I'm been reading a book uh, recently um, about the twisted scriptures, and as I'm reading it, uh, it's helping me understand everything I've known in my heart all along. Because you talk about, in Steve, about the usury laws under the Old Testament. Um, but didn't all of that go out the window when Christ said that we are dead to the law, meaning the old law underneath the Old Testament was no longer the law in which to follow? The new covenant that yeah. Christ gave us is to follow in Christ, in love and faith so that the laws of teething, the laws of of eating no, no pork or no shellfish, the laws of usury have all gone out the window because Christ basically said, if you follow me in love and faith, the laws will only drag you back down to sin because you think that's the way to faith. That's not the way to faith. The way to faith is through Christ. So the laws are dead. So, I'm asking then, how can usury laws under the Old Testament be put to use today? Because if we follow yeah. them according to the Gospels and according to Christ, then we are then committing sin by following the laws.
5: Well, and and I think you make a great point, and um, thanks for asking that. And I'll share you know my view because I do believe there's a huge difference between the old. Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Testament and the New Covenant, and I am a New Covenant follower, so I'm with you 100% on that. But let me develop it a little bit more, Ann and Curtis, from my perspective and then get your perspective as well, which I'm interested in. I think that in the Old Covenant, for example, you take the Sabbath. It was very, very rigid. People were stoned, literally, in the Old Testament because they did not religiously follow the Sabbath. Now, in the New Testament, it says in Romans, uh, one man regards a day above another, another regards every day alike. Let each be convinced in his own mind. So Ann and Curtis, my Sabbath is every day. Every day is the Lord's day. For me, personally, I believe in that principle. But the, the underlying principle, and you guys have heard the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Well, why did God give the Sabbath, whether it was the letter of the law in the Old Covenant or the spirit of the law in the New Covenant? Because he knows we're a bunch of dum-dums, right? And we're going to work ourselves to death. And he's saying, hey, listen, enjoy life. Stop, smell the roses, stop working for a day. And also take time out for us, for you and me, so that we have time for fellowship and you're not tied up in the things of the world 100% of the time and lose sight of the most important things in life. So I'm with you 100%. Uh, between Old Testament and New Testament, but the underlying principles of love and truth, people being set free from financial bondage. That's why, you know, we had year of jubilee. That's why we had every seven years, you know, people potentially, if they needed to, not just because they could, could declare bankruptcy. And that's why we don't have debtor prisons in this country to this day. So those are my thoughts.
0: Well, then there's the laws of mankind and then the laws of the Old Testament. So if we were to actually to follow Christ, we, instead of saying, "Oh, well, usury is bad, you can't do it, blah, blah, blah. Or as you're saying, you know, put it at a specific percent and you cannot charge a penny more. Um, why don't we do what Christ said and say to the people, do as you feel, which is the best in your heart. Do it with kindness, do it with love, do it with faith. But let's do it within – let's say, all right, tie it to the Fed. So whatever the market dictates, it will be a percentage of that Fed. So that as mankind makes his life choices, makes his choices on whether or not to buy that big screen TV and go into debt or buy that little $200 TV and pay cash for it and not have debt. Because he gave us free will. He gave us choice. And choice is also the free market. So why don't we use our choice? And decide with our dollars. If someone is is getting themselves into pro- problems, into trouble with the debt, then this is where our love comes and our faith to, to give them a hand up, not a hand down. to show I them, totally hey, all right, agree this is the way that. out. So if, totally if we were to agree. do this, and then when we see a company abusive, then just say, hey, listen, you know, this isn't this isn't right. What you're doing is not just, and it's not kind. So, you know, this is what the law of the government is, not the law of faith, but the law of government, and base it upon government, upon our republic, a a land of laws based upon Judeo-Christian principles. Well, you know,
5: I think that that's a beautiful thing, Anne, and um, all I can do is respond to that again personally. You know, Jews were not supposed to charge any interest To Jews in the Old Testament. Remember in Nehemiah, where he ends up plucking out the hair in their beards, because they had actually gone even to the place of putting their children into slavery, you know, those who were in debt. Um, Now, where I'm at is I don't lend people money. Um, I pray about it. If God leads me to give people money, then I give them money, no strings attached, because I found in my friends, my family, and so forth, that it often leads to hard feelings, and I'd rather not do that. Also, in Alliance Group, the private equity company that I'm the president of, we don't loan people money there either, Ann and Curtis. We invest in them. So whatever they put into their future as entrepreneurs, We double it, plus a dollar. We put them in a partnership with a seasoned mentor, successful business person, and then usually over a period of time within a year, they can outright own the company 100%. But we're exponentially increasing the likelihood of success. Now, if the body of Christ was doing that, we would be on the forefront of the financial system. But just like the body of Christ isn't doing that, just like they're not taking care of orphans and widows, as we're commanded to in the book of James, government is doing it by default more and more and more. But we as believers need to live out our faith in a loving, redemptive, humble way gracious way by investing in people. It's the most important asset that we have on this earth. And Christ is asking us to do exactly what you're talking about. Use our free will to demonstrate our love and invest in people.
0: All right. So, you know, taking that a little bit further, again, as I said, the law is dead to those of us of faith uh, at the Because you notice that the laws don't die with Christ on the cross. It dies when he is resurrected, because at that point, he broke all the law that is known at that point. He created the new covenant on that day. So why would we then rely on the law to make policy? Instead, going forward with the New Testament, with the writings of Paul and John and Mark and Matthew, and then base our actions upon what they are guiding us to do.
5: Well, I believe um, the answer to that, Ann and Curtis, and again, my view is we're also instructed in Romans 14, which obviously is in the New Testament, that there are governing principles. So we can't just do without law. There's, There's no such thing as a Christian anarchist where, oh, we just do whatever we want and everybody, you know, can go ahead and, you know, pollute, you know, their area of the planet. Uh, throw garbage in their neighbor's yard uh, without repercussions, et cetera, et cetera. So the Bible, the New Testament, is is not saying there that there are no guiding principles, that there's no government. It's saying that the Old Testament laws of stoning for, for somebody, for example, for breaking the Sabbath or uh, not e- eating unclean foods, that the spirit of the law has superseded that. Because it's based on
0: love. Here's here's where people are going to be very confused. Because we're talking about two different types of law. Because even Christ recognized that government must exist. Give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. He understands, we should also rightly understand, that there are going to be people of faith. There are going to be people of non-faith. There are going to be people from the devil. There are going to be evil people for there for them government must exist to control that lack of faith and that evilness but implying the old laws of faith not of government of faith found in the old testament into today is where i i will disagree with you with but yes we need okay. structure for our society to remain a civil society, which allows us to freely practice and grow in our faith and love. So and then again,
5: let me ask you this then as a Bible believing Christian, where are you suggesting Christians exercise their free will in having influence in our society from where do those governing principles come from, if not from God's Word?
0: It comes from morality. And it comes from the old, the old saying. is like, what is the difference between an ethical man and a moral man? An ethical man, a moral man knows it's wrong. I'm sorry, I'm going to get this backwards. An ethical man knows it's wrong to cheat on his wife. A moral man will not cheat on his wife. So here we have to realize that our society is divided into those that are moral and those that are ethical. So for the people that are ethical, we're going to say, if it's wrong to kill, then we must have a law on the books that if you do kill, that you are punished. But to go so far as to go against...
5: Let me give an example. So let's use two extremes because sometimes it's easier to kind of think through and work through things from that perspective. So you have, uh, you know, the extreme capitalist, you know, Michael Douglas uh, played a character. I can't remember what the name of it was, good, but, you know, but, but his thing there, remember Ann and um, Curtis was greed is good. Now his morality was greed is good. The more I make, the better it is. He saw himself as moral. Whatever it took, that was how he scored. Now you can have somebody else like a Bernie Sanders who says um, communism is good. Now don't look at my three mansions and don't ask me about my private jet flights and getting picked up in a stretch limo when I land um, or my book sales But at least that's what he says, and he feels, Elizabeth Warren feels, they not only have the right, they have the responsibility to force their morality of making sure that the one percenters, because they're not one percenters, they're three percenters. They don't want to get down to the three percenters, right, pay 90% of what they make. So who determines
0: Morality. Uh, That is, again, where we go back to Christ and faith. Simply because Michael Douglas says he is moral does not make him moral. Simply because Nancy Pelosi or Bernie Sanders say they are moral does not make them moral. Simply by stating a lie does not make it a truth. So where will we find truth? The only place we will find truth is through faith, through Christ, through love.
5: Okay, but we've got to make that, Ann and Curtis, I think, we've got to give definition to that. Is it really loving that somebody sets up a system, as our credit card system as it is today has been set up, where they specifically went to South Dakota, which was a state that did not honor usury laws? and where they figured out what's the minimum amount we can have people pay so that we know that after 30 years, they're going to end up spending many times their balance. Payday loan centers, where they know, Ann and Curtis, that if somebody comes in with a $1,400 check and keeps doing that with the charges that they have, the interest that they have to pay, that within five years, not only have they lost their $1,400, they're in debt $1,400. For some people, this is strategic. Now, you you would say, well, that's immoral, and I would agree with that. But what is our place as Christians, knowing that was the design, the intent of our influence as salt and light in society?
0: And that's where leadership must come in. At that point, leadership can say, all right, we know you want to make money. You know you have employees that you need to pay. So what is a profit margin that you're comfortable with? Is it at 10%, 15%? That is fair and just. That you have enough of a space to move. So if you've got someone with excellent credit and the Fed is at 2%. And you want to give, give someone with really good credit 2.5%. And someone at the other end that has bad credit, you say 15%. Instead of restricting them, allow them that free market area in which to offer a product. Instead of saying, we cap you here, you cannot go above it. If the Fed goes up to, say, as it did in the late 70s and early 80s at 25%, mortgage rates were at 20%, 25%, where you allow a business – to earn that profit, to pay their profits, to get new employees, to expand their operations, to give more people the opportunity of employment, of being able to climb from the poor level up into the middle class and even above by simply having a job and pride. If we take that away, we turn around and handcuff the companies.
5: They're obviously comfortable saying that they think it's moral, they think it's right, they think it's okay to charge 33-plus percent and late fees and uh, overdraft fees and fees and fees. Banks are now making more money off of their fees than they are their banking services. So and that, they would say, that's and I, I, I'm fine, I'm, I'm moral, it's
0: okay, there's nothing wrong. That's why we have in a capitalist society, you vote with your wallet. I had that with a bank, a bank I had a relationship with for 18 years, 18 long years, and very few people stayed in one spot that long, but they changed hands a couple of times, and the last company that changed hands, all of a sudden, my free checking account I had for those 18 years it had fees on it, and I said, oh, no. I let my fingers do the walking. I made some phone calls. I visited a few banks. I switched to a bank where I am back having to the services I had 18 years ago. That's capitalism. That's where it works.
5: Well, and Ann, you're a very smart person. You're very wise, and you made very good choices. Um, So kudos to you, and and that's awesome. Um, There are other people that haven't made good decisions, uh, you know. My daughter, my oldest daughter, uh, she called me after. Well, she was in her second year of college, and she said, "Dad, I'm in trouble." Well, as a dad, when you have a daughter call, that's the last thing you want to hear. Right <laughs> <here>. <laughs> it's like, okay, where is this going? Yeah. <laughs> she said. She said, "And uh, I, I got credit card offers in the mail. I started using them." I'm $3,500 underwater. I said, Liz, I will make you a one-time-in-your-life offer. She said, what's that? I said, I will pay off the $3,500, but you have to cut up your credit cards and promise me that until you're out on your own with solid work for at least a year, that you will not get another credit card. She said, I will do it. She did it, but she got in a bad situation. Now, if you were to say to me, well, Steve, that was her fault, I would agree. There's no doubt about it. The problem is, though, what happens to the people who weren't as smart as you were, who didn't make the choices you did, and and they're stuck, and they're paying more in interest than their minimum payment, and they're getting further... And further behind. So, uh, again, you know, we may not come to agreement on this, and that's okay. Um, I uh, personally um, do not feel that it's right that we have userless rates, and that's why I said, hey, I'll I'll agree with AOC on 15% if we can reduce. It. It's just like abortion. If somebody says, hey, I'm I'm opposed to third trimester abortion, great. Let's work on that. Let's eliminate third trimester abortion. Then we'll work on second trimester abortion together.
0: Well, again, I would say if you you, you do that, if you, you cap it specifically without tying it to the federal interest rate, you will have company after company after company going out of business and say, why the heck are we going to loan money? Let's do something else. And then you have people that out of work and then people idea. unable to gain credit. You've got to yeah, have I a factor that allows the free market.
5: Yeah, I think that's a very constructive alternative. Um, and and I know Curtis was uh, wanting to get in there too. So yeah. I oh, I question always
0: question I always you. cut him off,
5: <laughs> right, Curtis? I always cut you off. I just want to know.
0: <laughs>
3: I just want to know what your thoughts were on uh, a certain religion who don't believe in. Receiving interest or paying interest, and that would be devout Muslims. And do you think that would be um, a model that Christians should follow?
5: Well, um, let me ask you this, my friend. Um, I'm not sure your premise is right, especially with infidels. Um, I've read the Quran from beginning to end, and I'm pretty sure that they're quite comfortable. Charging interest to infidels—is that
0: wrong on my part, Curtis? No, having read the Quran, infidels. Well, yes, you do charge interest to, but not to a fellow Muslim. Right, right. Yeah. Was, yeah.
3: Yeah. And I was speaking in that context. You know, Muslims per se will not. Well, devout Muslims do not believe in receiving interest or paying interest, and I mean amongst themselves, you know, as a religion. Now, of course, they'll charge anybody else, you know, whatever, you know, they can get away with, but mm-hmm. I, I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that. Um, well, again, Muhammad and that so followed the I we're,
5: yeah, where Jews were not supposed to charge interest to other Jews but they could charge interest to infidels or Gentiles. So, again, Muhammad followed that principle you know, from the Old Testament, even though a lot of the Old Testament, obviously, he diverted quite, quite a bit. Um, I would say this, um, if I could, Curtis, uh, beyond that principle, when you look at the overall paradigm of Sharia law, there's nothing that terrifies Steve Carr more than that. It's, it's a very oppressive. Um, if you look at Surah 923, for example, it talks about pursuing the infidel, uh, killing the infidel. In other places, it talks about Jews being uh, pigs and Gentiles being dogs. Um, it has no problem in the Quran, uh, taking nine-year-old girls as Muhammad himself did, uh, as a quote wife. Actually, he took her when she was six. He started having intercourse with her when she was nine. Um, and if people think that that's really oh, that's Old Testament, um, the uh, Khomeini, uh, the uh, uh, you know, the Iranian dictator. Uh, who helped depose the Shah, he took a nine-year-old girl and he referenced Muhammad in his right to do that. So uh, there may be some principles in Islam that do follow and, and are sound principles, but if you want to have the bejabbers scared out of you, Look at countries that are under Sharia law, Somalia, Yemen, uh, and that's why they're fleeing to this country. And then what happens, which is always interesting, is I always ask them, well, you know, how long have you been in this country? Oh, 20 years. Do you like it? Oh, it's wonderful. I'll come. Oh, I'm so free. Do you want Sharia law here? Oh, yeah, let's have Sharia law. Wait a minute. Disconnect. Disconnect. So anyway, I don't know, brother, if that kind of addresses your question, but that that would be my response.
0: Well, Curtis knows where we stand on uh, the Quran, Sharia law, and uh, true Islam, uh, because I, when you were mentioning that, I pulled out my copy of the Quran uh, from the bookshelf. It was a copy that I've got lots of little Post-it notes on, and I confronted two imams. In a Love Thy Muslim Neighbor seminar where they were trying to convince us that uh, Sharia law will never be higher than the Constitution. And when I started to tear them down, repeating certain areas of the Quran, especially when they would turn around and say, uh, and you shall be friends with the Christians and Jews. And he stopped right there. And I said, you left out the rest of the phrase before the Prophet Muhammad. Therefore, once Muhammad was born, you can no longer be friends with the christians and jews you must slay them where they lay and they were embarrassed that i knew the quran and i knew those passages and when i continued to confront them one of these progressive unitarian christians jumped up and started telling me to shut the blank up uh, i was not very welcome there to say the least but the truth has to get out there
5: well absolutely absolutely yeah it's um uh... I have shown uh, Muslims out of the Quran what they uh, are supposed to believe. Um, there's over 100 passages in the Quran that talks about pursuing the unbeliever, torturing the unbeliever, beheading the unbeliever, killing the unbeliever. Show me one place, one place in the New Covenant where it says something similar to that. It doesn't do it
0: nowhere, nowhere. And yet always in a debate between Christianity, Judaism, and Islam on the other side, they always bring up the Old Testament, and they fail to understand the truth about Christianity, which we discussed earlier in the show, being dead to the law with the new covenant with Christ. What was in the Old Testament has now been redeemed, and we now have redemption and salvation, which they fail to understand. And if you read the Quran, Mohammed's multiple times, says, Allah, you have no idea whether or not he is pleased with you or displeased with you. He, he, you have no idea, no matter how good you are, whether or not you will go to heaven or hell. You can be the best of the best and follow all the laws and have faith and still end up in hell. What type of God is that to fi- father, follow if you have no hope? Which is the difference between Islam and Christianity. We have hope. We know what our salvation is. We know what our future is.
5: Yeah. And Ann and Curtis, listen, this, I have loved this conversation. Um, I unfortunately have gotten, I'm being reached here. I have got a personal family matter that I have got to attend to. Um, But I love what you're doing. I, I love Uh, you know, your thoughts and your creative alternatives that you're talking about, the context. Um, But I have got to sign off now, and I would love to come back and join you at some point. And if you would keep uh, this family member in your prayer, I would sure appreciate that.
0: Absolutely. You have our prayers. Have a great day, and I hope everything works out. All right. Steve, guys, take take care. care. God bless All right, that was Steve Carr. All right, Curtis, Um, very interesting interview. Um, I think we've uh, changed his mind in a few areas. What do you think?
3: Well, I think he he gave us some thought. Um, I know he's basing everything on, you know, biblical, you know, um, lessons um, handed down. In the Old Testament, and as we pointed out, we are living um, beyond that uh, with with you know the Son of God you know coming down to earth and um, changing everything from um, a God of um, you know war and and revenge to to one of grace which um, Jesus represents. So I, I I think you know he made some inroads there, but there were some areas that I, I thought you know he wasn't wasn't um, convinced to um, alter his his thinking.
2: Yeah, but it was absolutely. good like
3: a chess like a chess chess game between y'all two. <laughs> you both <laughs> were <was> going for <poor>. it. <laughs>
0: Oh, man. Uh, Listen, you know, tomorrow I'm going to be upstate here in South Carolina in Orangeburg. Uh, We got an email about maybe an hour before we went on air, and uh, it was from the New York City uh, Police uh, Benevolence Association. Bill de Blasio is going to be up in Orangeburg, which is approximately two hours northwest of where we live. And they want those of us from NYPD, retired, to show up and protest. So uh, tomorrow morning, uh, my husband and I are going to be getting up early, driving two hours to go up to Orangeburg. I have, and it's a shame that the uh, camera isn't working. Facebook is not working. Matter of fact, my hat is so old, it's breaking apart in my hands. (laughs) Oh man. Uh, But I'm going to have my NYPD gear on and uh, a bunch of us will be up there. I hope it will be a bunch of us uh, because I sent some emails out to two people I know that I had worked with in Brooklyn uh, asking them to join me up there. So it's going to be interesting to see the (laughs) counter-protest when de Blasio shows up here in South Carolina (laughs) because everyone knows he threw his hat in the ring. So um, I'm trying to think of a clever sign to put up there so that I can carry a sign. Uh, You got to go, de Blasio. (laughs) or something like that. Yeah, that
3: sounds good. But from what yeah, I understand, it. his uh, his campaign's not getting any traction. If anything, I think he's registering maybe less than 1%, you know, compared or to the about, other Democrat candidates.
0: How about just say no to de Blasio? <laughs> That's
3: another one. That works, too. That works, too. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: I got to. Find my these, poster board. Go ahead.
3: During that little outage we had, I, I was I was um, striking up a conversation about Uncle Joe again and his antics. He's up to it again, where he was at some kind of um, campaign um, event. At some kind of campaign event, where he he walked up to a young girl, little girl, I guess seven eight Years old, and it, there he went. You know, took her by the hand, walked away, and put put his hands on her shoulders and whispered in her ear. The guy just can't help himself. Well, <laughs> and I think Uncle that's Joe one Joe reason why you haven't heard much from him. You know, they're trying to keep him away from the cameras from the people.
0: Pete. I believe <laughs> the thing was, it was a 10 year old girl,
3: and P. P. Joe
0: creepy Joe said to his little ten year old girl, I hope you're as smart as you are pretty.
6: What?
0: You know yeah, I hope you are as smart as you are pretty. Yeah, if that's if that's not creepy, I don't know what is. Um, matter of fact, I had something here. I hope I still have it. I pulled a whole mess of articles aside and uh what the heck did I do with them? I wonder if they're on the back of this. Anyway. There is, over in England, a TV reality show. And this really creeps me out. i got to see if I can find the story on it. Um, It is an age gap uh, reality show. The guy is 44 and his child wife is 16. The guy is 44 years old. His child bride is 16 years old. Now, in England, it's legal for her to marry at the age of 16. But the backstory goes is that he knew her because he was with her mother prior. Catch this. He was with the mother prior. So he knew that girl as a child which makes you wonder what type of relationship did he have that with that 16-year-old girl prior to his marrying her once she turned mm-hmm. 15. If, and it, you know what this is? It is more of the progressive left to force their sexual deviation um, on us. All right, here it is. It's called The Age Love Gap. I knew I had the article here. And this was in Freedom Outpost. And, oops, that's not the one. Yeah, this was also Freedom Outpost too. Great. Uh, it was a disturbing push to put to normalize pedophilia as mainstream sexual orientation. The move involves pedophiles rebranding themselves as minor attracted persons, with the hope that they will be accepted as part of the LGBT community. It's somewhat effective, as both outlets reported that it was okay. The UK's Channel 5, which is owned by Viacom, is promoting a relationship between a 16-year-old girl and a 44-year-old man. Instead of calling this what it is, the network called it Age Gap Love. With the legal age of consent at 16, the program admits that the affection Andy has towards his child wife, Beth, began well before this age. Originally a friend of her mom, and over the years became close to her children too. The program says, as innocent music plays in the background, is if this sort of thing is entirely acceptable. Once she reached the age of 16, he decided to give this controversial relationship a go, it continues. What this actually means is that Andy had been attracted to Beth well before her legal age of consent, and only after he could no longer go to jail for it. He became public with his sick desires. Wow. Mm. What we, we've, we've devolved into.
3: As they say, that's heavy.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, just think about that. Then at what age is too young? To him, no age is too young. And because they're making this a reality TV show, they're giving it uh, credibility. They say, this is perfectly okay. This is the new norm. Live with it. Accept it. So now what is happening? We have five-year-olds being pulled out of class by a teacher or a guidance counselor and asked about their sexuality. Making a child at the age of five question his or her sexuality and describing to them sex changes. So now you have a little five-year-old boy who's now He's 7 years they old now.
3: <laughs>
0: no, they, but he, he was he was pulled he was singled out and asked if he would rather be a girl and told him about the process about turning into a girl. So now at the age of 7 oh. his parents are are suing the school, suing this this individual uh because now the kid has been going constantly to to a uh, psychological therapy. Yeah. Because at the
3: age of yeah. five,
0: they don't understand this, and and, and that's, that's
3: this a good is way a major fact.
0: Yeah, but this this little kid at the age of five, you're pulled out of the class. Do you remember how embarrassing that was when you were pulled out of the class? Everyone's watching you. You have no idea what's going on. Why you're being pulled out? What did you do wrong? Why am I getting a special attention? What did I do wrong? Am I guilty of something? Oh yeah, you want to know what you're guilty of? of being a boy and not a girl. Think about that weighing on the mind of a five-year-old. Think about that poor kid, how much he must have cried himself to sleep night after night. Kids don't like me because I'm not a girl. The teacher doesn't like me because I'm not a girl. Everyone thinks I should be a girl and not a boy. This is what the kid will think of at the age of five. Not at the age of 18 or 19 when they can start to understand this. And people forget the human brain is not sexually developed until the age of 27. So people going through these sex change operations before they are fully sexually developed, how much harm are we doing to them by letting this happen, by not counseling them and finding out what is the root problem truly? Because close to between 75 to 90 percent, we don't have the full figures yet because the studies aren't complete, but this is what it's looking at. Have sex change regret, they're sorry they did it, and many of them are starting to transition back. It is societal well, disease. think
3: Well, think about this. There are some school systems that are now teaching children as young as um, six and seven that there are about twenty one or twenty two sexual orientations you know you can choose from that's what they're gonna get in away with. And we, like I said, we have to reclaim the educational system <clears throat> and put back uh, morality and and God and Christian values into to you know what these kids are being taught. And you know we we have to put patriotism back as well. You know because these kids grow up hating their own country, believing that you know the world's problems. Are all caused by the United States and capitalism is is bad because it's all about greed. You know, this is what those kids are being hammered with day in and day out. But they they're being they're being inundated um, with the sexual controversy and and then there's climate change. Most of them go through their day worrying about the planet dying because of you know the greed of Americans and and how we are mistreating. You know the planet. You know these kids grow up; they, they're psychotic. You know they have to see seek help. It's no wonder. Oh,
0: absolutely. Oh, and you, you mentioned climate change. I want to let people know. Um, our friend Gregory Wrightstone. Um, I was what is it last year or something like that. He put together this app, the Inconvenient Facts: sixty inconvenient facts about climate change. And it's something you just have on your smart device, your smartphone or whatever, and you can tap on it and it'll pull up a whole list of different Inconvenient Facts. You tap on it, it'll give you the statistics and give you the references. For a while, it was difficult to get in the um, App Store. It is now back in the App Store, fully operational. So for only $2.99, you can go to the App Store and download Inconvenient Facts, um, the app there. And you can also get his book through there, too. But uh, it is—it's back up. It is running, so he was able to uh, to get it done. We there, oh. Curtis? With us? Oh yeah. You oh, are yeah, oh, you looking it up on your phone?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I was just listening. I was just listening. That's like our, you know, listening audience. Climate change, you know. Hmm. It's, Another, you know, one of the things that um, we have to deal with day in day out, as far as getting the truth out there to, you know, people who are being indoctrinated by environmentalists. Like I said, that's just two friends of mine, and one of them happened to have taken a couple of environmental courses, and the stuff they, they, they you know, these kids are reading is it's horrible. You know, because like I said, they, they they um, uplift things like socialism. You know, they, they they make that out to be, you know, the best, you know, way to govern people. That's the best system, and that um, capitalism um, tramples upon others. You know, because the wealthy, you know, get rich on the backs of the poor. That's that's what's being drilled into their head, and they have tests and everything. And it's all negative when it comes to the United States of America. You know, there's nothing that's redeemable about the United States in these courses. And, I mean, they're they're pretty out there, you know, with what they believe, and they're they're not holding back. So I would say that we have to put a stop to this really to reclaim the colleges and the high schools and middle schools
0: and elementary schools. Absolutely, absolutely. And it starts with making sure you know who's on your school board and then working with them to find out exactly what the curriculum is. You have the right to sit down and look at the books that the school is giving these kids. They may not allow you to take them out of the school building, but you do have the right. All you have to do is contact your school board member. And you say, all right, fine, I want to know what you're teaching our kids. I want to take a look and audit the books. I don't mean audit the accounting books. I mean to actually look at the course books, go through them, read through them, and see what is there. It's called auditing. And a lot of schools will allow you to audit the courses, to sit in on the classrooms to see what the teacher's doing and saying to these kids, how is that teacher treating the kids? You contact your school board member and, and ask them. How do we go about doing this? Get involved in knowing personally who your school board member is. I mean, we had one guy here that was so bad, so bad, that my girlfriend and I took some of, we had someone that challenged him in a petition runoff. We took his petition door to door in our district. We knocked on doors. We got signatures. He needed something, I think, about 600 signatures and have to have 600 valid signatures. And normally you'll get something like about 800 and 200 will be thrown out because the person no longer uh, doesn't have a valid uh, voter, voting card, voting registration, or something like that. Something will be wrong. It may not be the correct address that they're registered to. to. So you'll have a percentage that get tossed out. So we collected <laughs> all these signatures along with other people. And he stood in front of the local grocery stores uh, with his family and friends, and he had other people like us going around the neighborhood. we were all volunteers. We simply called him up and said, Dave, what can we do to help you? By the time we got done, he didn't have 600. He had 983 verified signatures, and out of which only 10%, which meant we had well over a 1,000. We had something, I think it was 1,200, something like that. I forget what the actual number ended up being. But he had 800, I'm sorry, 983 verified signatures on the petition. You think he got on the ballot? Oh, hell yeah. You think he got elected? Oh, hell yeah, he's in his second term. And it was doing that, changing the board one person at a time. We went from a minority of two people to a majority. And we're changing it. We're changing the system. We have actually, because we changed the board, got rid of a corrupt, I mean corrupt, school board superintendent. The guy kept on hiring his wife and his crony friends. He brought an attorney down from North Carolina. He was not licensed to practice law in North Carolina, but hired him to be the school district attorney. He's not licensed to practice in South Carolina, but he was practicing law without a license here in South Carolina. So how does he remedy it? The school district paid for this guy's license. We sent him to school for a year so he was able to pass the bar here in South Carolina. Our tax dollars paid for his college education and his law license. I asked, Did we ever get reimbursed? I never got an answer. No one knew the answer because the answer would be no. You got to know what's going on, folks. You got to know. True. Because what they do in the That's school the board the goes world. up to your, your counsel. It goes up to your county or city council. It starts the school board. It goes all up the food chain. So if you've got corruption on the bottom. Corruption floats upward. And then you have someone like Charlie Rangel, James Clyburn, Nancy Pelosi, uh, uh, whatever, uh, oh, God, what's the uh, Maxine Waters, and go on and on and on. So unless we weed it out, we're going to be left with a swamp. But it's, all politics is local. It starts at home. That's my rant, my preach.
3: <laughs> well, that was a good one. We need to wake people <laughs> up. 2020 just around the corner. And the Democrats are playing for keeps. Like I said before, they are fearful of Trump winning the election, you know, staying in power. Because, first of all, they'll get to a point, probably up to two new justices. And they know if that happens, their cause is pretty much a lost cause, at least for the next 20 to 30 years. And yeah. no. they don't want that to happen. So they're going all out with this impeachment thing that they want to get into this man's uh, personal life so they can find something, it's anything, you know, he, he he left for a sandwich um, out and it, it's, it's spoiled, and somebody got sick because they inhaled the vapor. You know, that's the teacher. <laughs>
0: well, I,
2: I hear a whole bunch of people.
3: You have a crime established already to look into. You're not supposed to go searching for a crime.
0: Well, Um, I see a whole mess of people in the studio listening in. If one of them is my next guest, Lisa, please press one so I know that you're in there. Uh, The chat room is still down. I apologize. It is out of our control. And for some reason, uh, whatever's going on between Blog Talk Radio, I was not able to keep the Facebook feed going because people could not hear the guests. They could hear those of us in the studio but could not hear the guests and I don't know what else to say, but uh, we're doing the best we can with what we got, and I will be working with them to uh, see what we can do to get this show up and running a little bit more smoothly. We've been doing this, Curtis, for nine years, and I feel like I'm back in my first year with the, the stuff that's going on today. That said, let's bring on a dear friend, although we've never met in person, we've often talked and Written back and forth to each other on the internet and everything else, she's a wonderful mm-hmm. lady. Let's welcome aboard Lisa Morris. Good afternoon, Lisa. How are you today? Okay. How are you? I am doing I'm, fine. Um, Thanks for of the- me on the show. Yeah. Oh, you know you're always you? welcome. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because when you reached out to me recently, I said, you know, I had the letter she mailed to the home. Uh, where you had me go over and, and fill out that poll because you were doing your, your master's thesis. And I said, all right, fine. I, I actually did the poll, and I had someone else do the poll too. And I left the letter sitting on my desk. And about the same time, you reached out to me again. And I said, I think I know. And I pulled the letter out. So I thought it's sitting here with me because I didn't forget. And, you know, you've been on my mind a lot. And I guess God has a way of working in mysterious ways. Uh, He sure does, doesn't he? (laughs) Um, You know, uh, but
2: but I I still haven't. Go ahead.
0: No, I was going to say, you and I have known each other since you originally wrote the book, Dying in Indian Country, where you outlined your life with your husband Roland, a Native American, and you, a white, uh, non-native. Uh, on the reservation and with your family and all the hardships you went through and what you saw there. And because of that, it caused you to be an activist, something you never, ever thought you would do. And you've gone so far as going to D.C. without a place to stay, in your car, sleeping in the car at times, but on the generosity of people who saw what you were trying to do. They would give you money for gas or for food or, or a place to stay. And from that little germ, you are a powerhouse today. Oh, I don't
2: know about a powerhouse, <laughs> but um, yeah, that doors have opened. That's for sure. Yeah, um, I, 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 I was appointed um, on a commission on a congressional commission for uh, Native children um, last year. That commission has yet to do anything, but. Um, but it's there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm still working on the thesis as well. Uh, that, that survey that you were talking about is still open um, because uh, there's just so much to do. There's, there's just so much research that, 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 that's, that's needing to be done and, and needing to be expressed. And um, so it, it turned out that I had so much information for this thesis that it, it was not possible to put it all in the thesis so we've decided I'm going on for the doctorate. I'm going to do the dissertation. And the thesis now is just going to focus solely on the Indian Shell Welfare Act, and well, as well as the historical uh, constitutional background all the way down before our, our nation was even founded. Um, it builds up from there. in. And, 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 um, and I'll be able to cite that in the dissertation, but this dissertation will take care of much of the rest of the, the federal Indian policy. At any rate, the other week, uh, last week while I was um, looking up on uh, making certain that I had my um, legislative uh, background correct, I, I ran across a new bill that's been introduced in the last month, and it's quite frightening. <laughs> um, uh, it's been introduced by by Tom Udall in in New Mexico, as well as Ben uh, Lejean of I think he's New Mexico too. Um, and it's it's a bill that's called the Native American Voting Rights Act of 2019. But uh, you know, just reading that, I knew I'd better look in, into it further. Um, this, this act is just absolutely horrendous. It, of course, they've couched it all in the normal, you know, politically correct stuff about how, uh, you know, tribal members are so disadvantaged and can't get to the voting booth. And so we have to do all this stuff to and, and ensure that they can get their votes counted and not be disenfranchised and all of that stuff. But what this really is, is just, just blatant, uh, 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 making it extremely easy to, to rob um, absentee ballots and and forge absentee ballots um this is uh, this has already been done to a certain extent on on many reservations in their in their local um tribal council politics and and voting my husband's uh, uh, tribal council members as well as waiters were um both in um convicted in federal court in the 1990s for for that type of ballot box stuffing and embezzlement and you know forging absentee ballots um but now what this bill here says is that a tribe can decide that all tribal members will be getting absentee ballots and not be voting in person and that um a, a physical address for the tribal member is not necessary because all uh, the the tribal offices can be used as their legal physical address and all the ballots will go to the tribal offices um, and, and, and we already know that tribal—that that, uh, the, the federal government has said that tribal governments themselves can decide who's the, who their members are. That's an inherently uh, tribal right, and, and um, it doesn't even have to be connected to blood. Um, I mean, when when you start to put all this together, what's actually in this bill? It, it's just literally de- delivering absentee ballots to the door of tribal governments. Um, my own children, who um, do not have never lived on the Leech Lake Reservation, um, if even if they were voting in a different county, which they do, um, in a different state, um, when you stop to think about that, okay, so so if the tribal government has the right to to order absentee ballots for everybody and have them delivered to the to the to the tribal headquarters. Uh, they could easily go ahead and do it for. 75% of tribal members do not live on the reservation, and there's nothing in this bill that says anything other than that they're being tribal members. Uh, they could order absentee ballots for everybody, and in, even if my, uh, even if somebody goes to uh, vote in person without any knowledge, because because like 75% of tribal members aren't connected to the aren't living on the reservation many of them aren't connected to the reservation at all um and and haven't been for you know a generation or more and uh, would not have any knowledge if the tribal government was doing that just as as in the 1990s um people had no idea that the tribal government was using their ballots for for this other as as well um so you go and and vote in boston or charleston or wherever you happen to be living and yes you're going to you know just naturally vote and Because the election judges, wherever you are in whatever county, aren't going to say, are you a tribal member and have they already gotten your absentee ballot? That just isn't going to happen. Um, So there could easily be double votes and and no one, um, unless you're comparing the counties, there's no real easy system for checking up on that. Because you don't know who the tribal members are. Do you see what I'm saying?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. If if you register with the tribe because you say, for example, you're Mohawk or you're Apache or something like that, just so that you can have the additional benefits through civil rights legislation of being recognized as partial Native American. And once you register with that tribe, they have the ability simply because they know your name, address, social security number, date of birth, and whatever else they need, they can have that ballot.
6: But they don't They don't to need to use it for you.
2: They, they won't be using your your address for signing up for the absentee ballots. This this exactly. this bill here says that they they can use the tribal headquarters as an address. So so you know you could be registered wherever it doesn't matter. They're going to be using the tribal headquarters as your address. But that's you know it isn't even a matter of people signing up because you know um uh your parents could have signed you up. I mean uh, you you know um this could have been done years and years and years ago. I mean, um, and there's people that were born on the reservation, like my husband and left the reservation, you know. um, But the the last two U.S. censuses said 75% of tribal members do not live on the reservation. Now, you know, the bill is bad enough that um, if it uses absentee ballots of people that do live on the reservation and and, uh, forges their votes or buys their votes or, or whatever, manipulates their votes, um, but we're talking about not just the people that are living on the reservation. We're talking about this bill giving license to people you know, off the reservation that don't have any knowledge that the tribal government might be doing this. Now, this is everybody's concern, not just a concern for tribal members, because um, we're talking uh, – oh, I can't even remember the, mo- the number now. I have it, obviously, in my thesis, um, but um, I can't think of the number of tribal members uh, right now. But let's say it was $2 million. Um, This could tip the scales on, in, in elections uh, on every every level, every political level, you know, local, state, you know, federal. Um, it could tip scales. So this is a concern of everybody. Everybody needs to be aware
0: of this. Yeah, because if it passes – as I understand, it, it's already law in Wyoming, Correct.
6: Uh,
2: no, 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 this is a new bill. This is a new bill. I mean, there's been, there's been ballot boxes. Well, this is is the federal version.
0: Yeah, this is the federal version. Oh, okay. But there is a, you've got the federal version, but the state version of this has already passed into law in Wyoming recently.
2: Oh, it did. Okay. Wow. I do my research. You you know that. behind the eight ball (laughs) on this. Yeah, I know you do my research. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so do we know that's the only state it's already
6: passed in?
0: Uh, that is all I found in the short time I was able to do uh, uh, the research. I only saw just Wyoming. I haven't seen anyone else yet.
2: Okay. Well, I know that um, and, and uh, a former legislator from Montana is telling me that um, although it, the bill hasn't passed, uh, a similar bill hasn't passed in, in Montana, that type of fraud is already going on in Montana. He said the other problem was that voting, um, the county voting booths are located on the reservation land in Indian country. And so he
0: has a concern for for everybody, so it's that way too. Yeah. Yeah. So if people want to know more about this, they can go to your website, which is the Christian Alliance for uh, for Indian Child Welfare, or CAICW.org. And you know, Lisa, because I love you so much, there's a link up in the chat room to that site as well as to your book. Because your book is still as valid oh. today as it was the day you wrote it.
2: Hey, you know, I, I take yes. care of you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it is, you know, there's it, it just so much going on, and, and uh, it's also frightening. You know what 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 people are pulling, and I, I just can't. You know, the, the only way I can think of it is it, it's a it's a war between good and evil. That's that's the only way I can think of it.
0: Yeah, because all, all they need to do, do is know that you're a member and know your date of birth and any other identification that you may have presented. They fill out the ballot for you because it's being sent to the tribal headquarters, not to your home. And Lord knows you may never have right. ever stepped on the reservation. And when you uh, talked about the 1990 uh, to 94 case, uh, you had people like 100 different people have their ballots with, that had the board. board the Heathen back was forged ballot. Come forward and testify. People that had no idea yeah. someone had voted for them. Matter of fact, one woman came up and said, "Not asked why do you know it's a forgery?" She goes, "Well, I know I didn't sign that." And as for my brother, he could never have signed it because he died four months before the ballot was signed.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. 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 So there you go. Right there was was using dead people to vote yeah um so um so what we really need um you know this Wyoming thing is very distressing because because you know when, when, when we're talking about how close sometimes even um well the presidential election can get um it's not just I mean we're we're talking about every level of government from local to you know presidential it can affect everything and um, that's a deep concern for every single person in the, in the United States so we yeah, really absolutely. need people from all over to to, to, to say you know this is, this is Senate Bill 739 and the House Bill is 1694 so Senate Bill 739 House Bill 1694 the native did we lose Lisa? Um, no, I'm, I'm here. I'm on one of those VOIP things. Somebody just reminded me that I needed to pay, but, <laughs> um, but it, the Native American Voting Rights Act of 2019. And uh, I would, I, I, I'm intending to to go after the, the Senate version more than the than the House version because, you know, I have less doubts we can stop the
0: House version. Well, you know, um
2: well but everybody it, to, needs to be counted.
0: go ahead, I was gonna say, according to Scopus labs, which is they they rate the chance of this passing uh as of March twelfth, they said it had a fifteen percent chance of passing, but considering the political environment that we have in the house right now, the anti trumpism yeah. if any way to get yeah. Trump out of office, this would be a perfect tool for them to use. So we've got to make sure that it doesn't get passed to the House, which it looks like it possibly could, as you said, looking at the the atmosphere we've got in there. Uh, But maybe it's possible that their eye isn't completely on this ball just yet because they're calling for that national popular vote. You hear that all across the nation. So I'm wondering how much a push for this would be tied into the candidates calling for the national popular vote and the abolishment of the Electoral College.
2: Right, right, right. Great. This is so nuts. It's, just, it's beyond belief that this is actually happening in our nation. Um, our, our young people are just not being educated at all about the Constitution and about the reasons that our forefathers, who were extremely wise, and, and for the most part, extremely good people, um, you know, far better educated than a lot of our people coming out of colleges today. <laughs> and so they were just so wise in everything they did. And I just can't believe that we've gotten to this point where we might lose
0: all of that. Well, it, it, it's, you know, I, I just, when I read it, I, I thought of a friend of mine who happens to be partially Native American and proud of it. His family lives in a large portion of Horry County here in South Carolina and they're all you know, tied to Native American, never lived on the reservation, just local good people. And in that county, it's heavy Republican. So imagine now that county being turned because this family, not living on the reservation, but having been registered at, with their native tribe, having their ballots sent to the reservation headquarters, completely unaware Completely unaware. And then yeah. when they go to vote, say, Wait a minute, you've already voted. What do you mean I've already voted? Yeah. Well, you put in an absentee, yeah. absentee ballot. I did not. So instead you're handed a protest ballot. Now it goes to court. And by the time all is said and done, the election will stand because, it does, oh, it doesn't matter because they already took the oath of office. They're already in office. So you can't remove them.
6: That right, would be a right and
2: we've seen that happen time and again there has been proven voter fraud you know over the last few cycles and nobody does anything about it nobody you know contests the election to the point where somebody is you know uh taken down or or anything i mean alan west proved that that more people voted than were registered to vote in his county and and uh he's still lost you know so um it seems like it doesn't matter, you know, whatever they can do to get people in because they're pretty sure that once they get them
0: in, even if it's proved later that it's fraud, nothing will happen with it. It's a scary, scary yeah. thought. And uh, no one else is talking yeah. about it, but thank you for you know letting us know about this. And it's, it's basically saying that actually it's really rather racist when you come and think about it. And the bottom line is, Hey, because you're Native American You're too stupid to know how to get out there and vote, so we have to take you by the hand like little children and help you through this process. Oh, yeah, better yet, let us vote for you because you really don't know. You're not elective enough to make your own informed decision. How condescending. How absolutely, but typical progressive, that condescending attitude you're too dumb. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. It's an amazing, amazing story, and I'm glad that you, you brought that up. As a matter of fact, I'm pulling this aside for our next Tea Party meeting, and I'm going to be bringing it to their attention. And we just lost Lisa. <laughs> we just lost
3: Lisa. We
0: are having one healthier day, Curtis.
3: Yeah, what I was going to say, it kind of reminds me of affirmative action when it comes to black blacks. It's, it's almost as though, um, and, and the blacks allowed this to happen, the black community, that blacks cannot make it on their own unless they always are helped, you know, by the government. And my issue with that is is this, you know, we as a, a nation of um Voters and and citizens become lazy when we let the government do everything for us. Um, I think every citizen should have a level playing field, and that the government should make sure of, that we have a level playing field, and then we take it from there on our own. But affirmative action, I believe, has just made you know some of us lazy and to the point that now they're giving up special categories now for people applying for college to just help them get in. And I've seen the results of a lot of this through the affirmative action where we have people with degrees and at the doctorate, you know, doctorate level and master's level, and they can't write a decent, you know, paragraph. You know, they write at the um, sixth grade level, but they got these degrees, you know. And I think it's because a lot of professors are, letting these people, you know, you know, um, get by, you know, when they really don't have the for it. You know, I, I believe not everybody is meant to go to college, you know. Some people probably would benefit more going to a technical vocational school. Not everybody is, is suited for college. And I think you dilute um, the degree itself when you put a lot of people in there and the, the the standards go down. It doesn't mean much unless you really go to a, a competitive college. But everything else is just, you know, it's it's, it's a farce. Uh, it's
0: a, it's an unfortunate thing. You know, the thing is, is that you're due a college education. No, that is something that you mm-hmm. earned. It brings to mind some articles I pulled up. I have a whole mess of stuff here. Um, this is all Lisa's stuff. I have to look past this one. Um, I don't know. if they, Oh, I wanted to mention something uh, also. that They have it now where you have some of these schools. There's one school in Massachusetts that rather than the students choosing the prom king and queen, the school did. And the school, instead of getting, yeah, the school decided it was that. going to be the prom, prom king and queen. And I I'm apologize. I, I've got notes all over the place. Everything's scattered all over the place. And um, But the teachers decided, they, the teachers themselves decided to do this. They chose a transgender. They chose a biological female to male. How do you like that? Not that the kids decide who's the person to be the prom king or queen, but the teachers were to do that. So, you know, what's the point of having a prom king and queen if it's not the most popular kid or whatever of the class? But instead it's who they dictate, they think is the best person to do that. And um we do have a caller in on the line, a friend of ours, cool Mike. Let me bring him in on the line. Good afternoon, Mikey. All right. <coughs> Mike, you with us? Where are you? I'm here. Mike, unmute. <laughs> un- yeah, oh, there no, here are.
7: Sorry, <laughs> I'm I muted. I'm camp. I'm campaigning, so uh, um, I, w- I was just about to tell you an hour ago. I was on. Uh, I got. I got an email from one of these groups that wants to sit down and talk with us. And Annie, it correlates with what you just said. Uh, had the names of the people that are on this committee. So I went. Uh, you know, you put them on Facebook, and you're looking through the names. The guy's profile said, trans people will not be erased. And I thought, okay, who even said that? I mean, the, the fact is, the minute you said, Annie, that the school or the teachers or the administration was picking, we knew politics would weigh into this, and we knew which way the political system was work, would
1: go. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I'm still looking for those articles I had put aside. And uh, that, well, I What does what...
7: What the, the world come to, to where as individuals, as they grow up to be young adults, cannot develop their mind themselves without some form of indoctrination by administration or people with a uh, political liberal agenda? I mean, it's just ridiculous.
0: Well, here, these these are the articles I was pulling up. All right. Curtis had mentioned the education and how, you know, it's become so progressive. Well, thank God we still have people out there outside of the education system thinking and actually speaking out. This was from AmericanUpdate.com, and it reads, NFL quarterback Baker Mayfield is slamming a school district's decision to remove the award for Valedictorian and Salatorian because of the fear of offending someone. I didn't get to be Valedictorian. Well, I didn't either. (laughs) The best person got the job. The NFL star quarterback, Baker Mayfield, ripped into the administration at Ohio High School for dropping Valedictorian and Salatorian honors out of sensitivity to students who didn't earn the awards and a concern for the overall mental health of the students. This is so dumb, said the Cleveland Browns quarterback in a Saturday tweet capturing the news. You're telling me competition doesn't bring out the best in people. If you want something bad enough, work for it. People are too soft, Ed and Mayfield. The message went viral, racking up over 51,000 retweets and 242,000 likes. God bless you, Baker Mayfield. You might be the one reason I may start watching football again. If there's more men out there playing the game like you, I just may turn the Green Bay Packers back on. And by the way, Bart Starr passed away this past week. Um, Amazing, amazing player, amazing man. But this is what we need. We need people to actually realize something's something's wrong here. Something is wrong. You can't give a winner's trophy to every single kid in the game. You've got, there's always going to be in life a winner and someone comes in second and a loser. It is a fact of human nature. It's a fact of life. It's a fact in the animal kingdom, in the human race. You can't change it. But they're going to try to do that through the socialistic, communistic, progressive attitude that you're too dumb to achieve something, so instead of giving out the award for the best of the best, you're all going to get just placed. Instead of saying to the kid, hey, you're you're losing here, you need to kick up your game. Let's see what we can do to give you a stronger game. Let's see what we can do to help you up. But no, because you're so weak, we got to bring everyone down to your level instead of working to raise you up to their level and make you something better than you actually are today. That's the attitude, and it's a sad, sad attitude, Mike
7: amen uh I don't know, I haven't confirmed this i I had to be a worker this morning, but the lady on radio said there were eight winners for the spelling bee because they didn't want to award a winner or something like that.
0: I don't no, know no I didn't no no, no no, 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 that's not what happened. That's not what happened for the first time in history of this national spelling bee, and they have a set of words they use the rules are determined by a certain number of words certain types of words and they got to the final round they went 20 rounds they've never done this in history and they ran out of words and i saw those kids they were on fox news and you know what they had one kid as a spokesman but every single kid said how much better the others were of them they said such nice these kids were wonderful and they talked about how hard they worked. And every last one was asked, what did you do? I worked hard. I looked for a goal. I worked hard. And every last one of those kids says, you're not going to achieve anything unless you work hard. And each and every one of these kids here with me today worked hard. Some of them harder than I did. Maybe they deserve it more than me, but I'm glad we're here together to celebrate. Those are the type of kids you want.
7: Uh, amen. I mean, and that, that obviously shows that they have worked hard in the spelling bee. If it's that competitive, they've taken it that far into that many overtimes. Good for them. Annie, I wanted to mention to you, we know Justin Amash is under fire. There was a oh, yes. the local town hall. I was just going to answer. I was going to answer about I, that, that. Annie, I can see. He's, he needs to go. But uh, this lady stands up there. Here's exactly what she says. There are some days I can't even get out of bed, she said, because of my headaches. What are you going to do about it? And I thought, I cannot believe. I wanted to turn around and really just tell this person nothing. Uh, But then her next topic was kids are drowning in debt from student loans. What is the federal government's responsibility to these kids? I thought, holy cow. I mean, this is the kind of people we're dealing with.
3: Oh, yeah.
7: I mean, (laughs) She's running a temperature uh, fever, and it's the president who uh, – oh, my goodness. Well, you That's know what, lady. Mike?
3: Some of them some of them could go to community college. Some could go to vocational schools. Some could join the military and let, you know, their benefits pay for it, GI Bill. You know, there's all kind of solutions to this. You some of them could get a From
4: job. From what I know,
3: it's less than 1% of the population that represents this country in the military. And I believe more should sign up.
0: There's there's a a simple three-letter word that that they could use to help pay down their debt. It starts off J-O-B, get a job.
2: That's what I did. I I had no
0: college debt. I I worked when I put myself through college. Yes, I went to a community college. I still had to work two and three jobs to pay for the tuition and the books and the transportation back and forth. It wasn't handed to me, and I had zero debt. My sister, on the other hand, took out the loans, and I think she finally paid them off like 10 years ago. And my sister's only three years younger than me. That's a long time to have a debt, a very, very long time. Now, she was lucky because she was a senior partner in a law firm, so she was able to afford the loan, not like some kids that can't get a job. Because now they have a master's in arts degree, and the only job they can get is flipping burgers at McDonald's. What are you going to do with the master's of arts degree? Yeah, how many kids are getting those things?
7: Even flipping burgers. It it leads to a start to do something rather than nothing.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. But Bernie Sanders and Beto O'Rourke and everyone else says, no, the government should pick up your your slack because you got yourself too far in debt. No, you made a choice. Now, recently there was that college graduation where um, one of the alumni, a billionaire, the names elude me, but I'm sure someone would know them listening in. Um, We still don't have a chat room up. I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do. My hands are tied. I don't know what is going on here anyway. Um, but he turned around and says I'm picking up the student debt for this entire graduating class. Now you, you think about that. That's it's several million dollars. That's, that's a way up there. Yeah, he's a billionaire. He can afford it. But I'm wondering if that was the right thing to do for every single class member. What does that teach them about responsibility? All right, Here they are. The, their debt suddenly just disappears. I mean – I would have said, you know, because you're a valedictorian, and I'll pick up yours 100%. Because you were the top 10%, I'll do 90% on down the line. And progressively, well, you're at the bottom of the class, and here's 100 bucks. You know, go get yourself a nice meal and a bottle of wine or something. It, 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 I'm not sure it was giving the, exactly the right message. You know what I'm saying, Mike?
7: I, I know what you're saying, Annie. I mean, obviously – the individual wants to give something back i, I follow your i i mean I, I feel you but i mean if uh, if he's he's got money and he's an alumnus that's and that's the way he wants to give back i do think your premise is very accurate i think we've made things so easy for so many people i mean it has just become so simple in some ways okay not for everyone but in some ways that people just have much lower motivation and somebody made a comment at that uh, Justin Amash forum that really made me think. He, uh, he was an African-American who mentioned, he said, Trump has done more for black people, he said, than any president in my lifetime. He said, and one of the reasons all of you are talking the way you are is because the Democrats really, really need the younger white vote because clearly Hispanics and African-Americans are supporting Trump. And there, there may be some truth to that. I mean, I don't get involved in all the X's and O's, but clearly the education system is pushing this agenda very hard over the last four years to avoid uh, you know to avoid a reelection of Trump.
0: Well, you also have uh the Superintendent of Schools for New York City, and of course, of course, I can't find the articles because I've got so many here. Um, Superintendent of New York City's instituted a policy. That if you've got someone of color, black, Hispanic, or whatever, not doing very well, and you also have a white student not doing well, forget about the white student. Concentrate all of your energies on the person of color because they need the help. Forget about the white kid. Let the white kid fail. Instead of treating each and every student equally and raising them up equally, no, 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 because there's white privilege. The kid didn't ask to be born white. He didn't ask to be shoved into a New York City public school. And they're not all that great, having patrolled several of them. No, no, no. But this is the school chancellor. The policy for the entire city of New York. No one calls her out as racist. No one says anything. It's okay. It's a progressive idea. Let's try it and see if it works. Not. This This is their mindset, Mike. Curtis, would you, would you appreciate sending your kids to a school like that, Curtis?
3: No, I wouldn't. My children, all three of them, started out young in a gifted program. One, I had to um, personally go to the school because they kept, I don't, I don't know, seemed like they were stalling or whatever or just just not getting with the program and getting my youngest boy into the gifted program. So, I went over there, and um uh, I made my frustration known, and that day he was enrolled, so they all went through you know the school system and and they 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 turned out very well, you know because we uh, my wife and I you know got them ahead of the game when it came to education. We made a fun for them, and when I purchased computer games you know educational games for them, they were educational. And and I think that that helped a lot. Today, a lot of kids sit in front of a video screen, and they they they're pretty much killing people.
6: <laughs> you know, even though it's
3: animation, they learn how to kill. And I guess that's why those two uh, shooters at Columbine were such good shooters because they had a lot of practice. You know, it's almost like they they train you in the military. You know, using you know high tech computer screens and. Computer software to train you to be a sniper. So these kids, you know, instead of playing deadly games all day, I think they they should focus more on um, enlightening themselves and, and make themselves, you know, people who will benefit society instead of being a hindrance to society. That's that's my Was rant on education.
0: <laughs> I I had downloaded a clip and I, I i forget where i put it honestly i had downloaded it and shoved it in one of the files in the computer but uh, a governor that just recently won a special election just just came into office this past month uh was asked a question by a progressive woman uh blaming gun violence uh, on guns and he read her the riot act. Matter of fact, my sister sent me the clip, and it's probably up on Facebook, probably where I saved it. Matter of fact, I think I did it. If people go to my uh, Southern Sense Facebook page, you'll probably see the clip of this governor up there. And he did it succinctly. And he said, no, it's not a problem of guns. It's a problem of society. Why don't we look at what's wrong with society and try to fix that? And one of the things he did bring up is the video games. Why is it okay that you gain points and you get prizes and you get accolades because you're running people over, you're blowing people up, you're shooting people, and you get more points with the more kills? Now, I can see using it as a training guide, as you said, Curtis, uh, for the military to train them on different types, because you've got now the virtual reality, you know, different types of situations to have compare desert uh, combat to jungle combat to urban combat to help prepare you as a soldier or as a law enforcement person or as a rescue person what will you be simulators i can see simulators i can see doing that but for the fun of it you know it's field of war it's team red against team blue no it's not the Allies fighting tyranny and evil of the Nazis and the Japanese atrocities is not trying to save people from tyranny and rescuing people no it 's how many points you can get whether or not the kill is a combat person or an innocent it doesn't matter kills a kill and in the 1970s, when those video games started coming out, before it was all just pinball machines. Then, when they came out with the video games like Donkey Kong and Pong and things, um, about that same time, someone came out with a game called Cars. And the object of the game was to drive a car and run over as many people as possible. It doesn't matter who they are. The more people you ran over, the more points you got. And my best friend and her sister with me, and they were having fun playing it. And I said, "That's sick." Think about that. You're devaluing human life. It's fun to kill. She goes, oh, it's just a game. No one's going to take this seriously. What has happened, Mike? We have seen a rise in school violence, in domestic violence. We see a rise in people devaluing the human life. Rise in abortion. A Rise in assault. A rise of Antifa, Occupy Wall Street, devaluation of human life. It's cheap now go ahead, run them over, go ahead and shoot. you got to get points on a video game. You don't see them as a fellow human being. Isn't that a major problem we're facing in society, gentlemen?
7: Uh, I, I think that one of the biggest problems is the breakdown of the American family. Uh, but yes, Annie, I, I agree. Although I don't, uh, I, I don't share your major, major concern on the, on the video game aspect. You are correct. When you devalue life in any aspect, you devalue life. And, uh, uh, something kind of interesting, I, I saw um, Annie, you will remember him, Taft, my cousin, he used to be in the chat room. I ran into him yesterday for the first time in years. While he's still sitting at the same cafe panhandling, he's got a new girlfriend. <laughs> she, she goes to an <laughs> online school, and she said they had 100% graduation Wednesday. 100% graduation nice. from an online school? Are you kidding me? 100% well, you just man. what I was saying.
3: Just what you I was saying. Liberty you know, University. they're practically giving away degrees.
0: Yeah, you, you, you've got Hillsdale College. You've got Liberty University. You've got Stratford. You've got a lot of these conservative and religious-based universities online, Phoenix University, where you can study inexpensively at your leisure while you go to work, take care of the kids. And get a valid degree. You don't need to go to Yale, to Harvard, Harvard, or to USC, or to Tulane, or whatever. You can still do that if you want that. So the fact that they're allowing this online and that their success rate is so high, that's a good thing, I think. And, you know, uh, Lisa Morris, who's on here, she goes to Liberty University, and she's going for her master thesis, She's not a dummy. She's a well-spoken woman, an author, a congressional appointee. So maybe they are turning out on these online universities a better quality of, of graduate than you think.
7: Well, the, the, to follow up on that, Annie, you mentioned Donkey Kong. She asked me if I've ever heard of Donkey Kong, and I said, Yeah. And I said that's back. For, I just uh, that's back when the video games first came out. Well, anyway, she said that she won the tournament at her high school. So uh, I seriously doubt that they're doing mathematics in English. I think this is more of an online social media school. Uh, to whereas, either way, either way, I think it contributes. The the fact is, Grand Rapids Public School uh, now claims that like sixty percent graduation rate. Two reasons. Number one is wow. the online uh, their online school had a hundred percent graduation as well. Plus. They now include the individuals who are in Juby uh, who are getting their GED um, as part of the basically overall high school graduation to bump up the percentages because um, in half more than half of the schools, uh, there's 74% illiteracy, illiteracy in the Grand Rapids Public Schools. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons, Danny, what you were talking about is the breakdown, or you had mentioned before, and I said, followed up with the breakdown, is that in school, Curtis, you're right. They're practically doing everything to hand you a diploma because there's so much money involved now for the school and the teachers have basically been hamstrung with federal and state regulations that they're almost robotical in their their,
0: their lesson. Here's the difference here. I mentioned three specific schools and those three schools do not receive a penny of federal money. They they have disassociated, disassociated themselves from any federal grants or anything. So they are not subject to the federal BS going on out there. That's why they give a higher quality degree. Uh, you may have these fly-by-night things like this girlfriend is going to teaching her basket weaving over the Internet. Fine. I'll agree that there are Charlatans out there. You know, the Clintons had one of these universities, don't forget, you know. So, yeah, if you tie federal dollars, there's probably a scam somewhere along there, along the way. But if you have independents that say, hey, listen, we don't want to follow you know, your rules and regulations. We don't want you to pull us around by the tip of our nose and turn out poor students. These kids are giving us their hard-earned money. The families are giving hard-earned money to get this degree. Let's give them the quality degree they they earn." That's why I will say Hillsdale College, Liberty University, Strayer, Phoenix – you know, universities that will actually give you a quality product for your buck.
7: This is high school, Annie. This is not college that I'm talking about.
0: These no, are high
7: schools. High
0: school. I, yeah, I can see high schools also. If you've got a corrupt school board, which is comes back to politics, starts at home. And you got to know what your school is doing, what the online courses are that they're teaching. You got to also consider some of these kids taking the courses online may be homeschoolers, where the school district has a homeschool, you know, arm of it. They may be using that and the homeschool kid is going to graduate better than someone shoved in the classroom with 65 other kids. I mean, look at how many homeschool kids actually do merit going to college.
7: Yeah, it's true. The skilled trades trades individuals from a year ago uh, already basically have a year of work under their belt uh, and they're kicking into a paying into a 401k i mean I, i'm not downgrading college in, in no way shape or form but i'm simply saying these guys already have uh, a year up in life i mean there's nothing nothing better than being uh financially secure in your life and they're on their way to doing that
0: absolutely absolutely and you know um i i want to make a couple of notes uh one thing i should have mentioned at the start of the show when we were doing our dedication. I didn't see this anywhere in the news. It was up on the Hill. And unfortunately, um, I believe it was yesterday. Yeah, yesterday morning at the age of 81, uh, Senator Bad Cochran passed away. Uh, You remember he stepped down after serving 45 years in uh, Congress for health reasons. He was the uh, Senate Appropriations Committee Chairman, and he resigned in April of 2018. And he passed away peacefully in Oxford, Mississippi. And his former aide, Brad White and Chris Gallagher, said, Cochran's family extends its gratitude for the support shown to the senator by Mississippians over the years. Um, he was quintessentially a Southern gentleman. He was also dubbed the quiet persa- persuader. Uh, some people say that Thad Cochrane is the last true Southern gentleman. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Some people say he represents the lost art of being nice, and that was from Richard Shelby. So, Thad Cochran passed away yesterday morning at the age of 81. And he was a wow. true conservative.
7: For many and years, for many, many years.
0: Yeah, you don't see anything like that in the news at all today. And, uh, all right, uh, anyway, hey. I had something else. Yeah, go ahead.
3: Yeah, I was going to ask you, uh, what did you make of this 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 big um, headline that came out this week about Trump when he went to Japan? He didn't want um, the USS McCain in sight. I've been reading a lot about that and hearing a lot about that. Now, now Trump says, you know, it's not true. He didn't know anything about it. It's fake news, but you know, the left is going to, you know, hype it up anyway. And, you know, people don't understand what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a ship named after um, the late senator, and it's called the USS John McCain. So. I had not heard a word
0: today? on that. Obviously. I had not heard a mm-hmm. word on that. I don't think Trump would be the type of man to diss our military men and women. You know, they're serving most. aboard a U.S. military ship. They are not given, a. most of them are not given a choice which ship to serve aboard. You, you follow right. your orders. You, you follow your orders, and that's the ship they're assigned. So I don't think he would ever disgrace any single man oh, or no. woman serving on. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, Megan McCain was also pulling the. Trump hate, hated Daddy Card yesterday on the news, and sometimes some people should just shut up and sit down. I mean, I understand you love your dad, you love your dad, and yet <laughs> something that had that had been said about my father, I would have been, you know, coming back at you too. I'm my I'm my daddy's baby. Well, my dad has passed away now, going on six years. You know, had anyone said anything nasty, and whether it's right or True or not, I still would have defended my father. And that's what she's doing. I can't I can't blame her for that. But you know, at this point it's over, it's said, it's done with, let's move on. And it's time to move on. It's been long enough. But to tell you about how rabid the left can be and how they can pull the fake news, um, this is sad but also funny at the same time. This was up on American Action News and i got to read this i really do the democratic congressional campaign committee displayed remarkable tone deafness earlier today the campaign arm of the house of democrats complained that the secret service unexpectedly moved a scheduled transgender rally next to the white house they conveniently forgot to mention that a disturbed man Set himself on fire in the immediate vicinity shortly beforehand. The Daily Caller reports in a video posted on Twitter, a person engulfed in flames is seen near the White House with Secret Service vehicles approaching the scene. The Secret Service sent out a tweet shortly after saying a man lit himself on fire and the National Park Service and the U.S. Park Service are on the scene rendering first aid. At approximately 12.20 p.m., a man lit himself on fire at the Ellipse near 15th and Constitution Avenue. Secret Service personnel are on the scene assisting the National Park Service and U.S. Park Service in rendering first aid. Um, The right to peaceably assemble is protected under the First Amendment. Squashing this rally is beyond the pale, wrote the DCC. And the emergency dispatch reports the man suffered burns on like 85% of his body. Paramedics rushed into the house with life-threatening injuries. First responders also reported a suspicious package on fire near the man. Now, what's more important, your transgender rally or the life and safety of the people at that rally? Hmm? Hmm? What if that was a I bomb? Got it, a a, but,
3: uh, I got a video of that guy. I got I got a good video of that guy um, yeah, on fire. Yeah. He was walking around just as calmly as you would on any sunny day, but he was uh, he was on fire. And and they got to him pretty quickly and put out the fire. But, you know, it's just sad that people would go to such extremes to to protest or whatever. I don't see yeah, no but benefit in it.
0: You have a man that, as we speak, could be dead. But that makes it a crime scene. Your crime scene, you rope it off, you secure the area. You've got a suspicious package. They have no idea if it's going to blow up. You've got people near that man and that package. And he's, he's nuts. And I'm sorry, just plain and simple, the guy is mentally ill. What if he ran into that crowd of people? And what if they were wearing clothing and costumes that would have you know, burst up in flames? He is jeopardizing the safety of those protesters. That package is jeopardizing the safety of those protesters. The smart thing to do is to move them to safety and allow them to continue their protest, which they did. They moved them to another area where they continue to peaceably and legally protest and yet protect their safety. But, oh, they're interfering with their the rally because we're LBGT or transgender or whatever. We can't protest. We want to stand there, not here. It doesn't matter if we might get killed standing there. So in order to be safe, we don't want to be safe and stand here. Go ahead and kill us, and that way we make the front page news. These people are sick. I'm on a roll today. I'm ranting and raving. You with us still, Mike? Oh, Mike, I wanted to ask you a question if you're still with us. We lose
3: yeah.
0: Mike. Did he drop out? All right, no, we no. got because yeah. you started to mention that Justin Amash mm-hmm. has someone that's challenging him going into the primary. Uh, Jeff Lower is his name. He is a state representative. Um, from what I looked on his website, it, he didn't look too bad. He looked, you know, pretty solid. What do you think his chances to unseat Amash? And you know, um, when you are my co-host. We had Amash on here a couple of times.
7: Uh, There's another guy running who's not getting a lot of publicity. I seriously would consider him a bigger threat. His name is Thomas Norton. He's a uh, platoon leader, a retired platoon leader, um, army veteran. Um, The the media has kind of gotten behind, reconciled behind this challenger, who's a former state rep. Just three weeks ago at a dinner, I talked to him, and he had no problem with Justin Amash doing what he was doing. So I tend to think that this guy is a plant from the Amash campaign to split Tom Norton's vote.
0: Mm, interesting. interesting. He had nothing bad to say about him. Um, nothing bad about Amash?
7: Yeah, on top of that, Justin Amash's best friend, um, this guy was his treasure when he ran. So you tell me.
0: Ooh, and the plot thickens. Well, you're gonna to have to see if you can get a hold of this other guy for us and see if he's willing to come on the show.
7: Yeah, I'll call Tom Norton. I'm sure. I'm more than sure he'd be on. Tom is a Tom is a great guy, and he's running for all the right reasons. He's running because he cares for the country. So.
4: Well. It'd be interesting. <laughs> you know, one you thing interested?
7: about Justin, at least he was nice enough to come on uh, whenever we asked him. I mean, I, I only mm-hmm. think he made it once, maybe twice, but. Still, it's a lot better. He and Mark, uh, Stan, Mark Stanford, Sanford were really good about that. Of course, Annie oh, yeah. um, Michelle Michelle, what's her name? Won't be uh, won't be back on your show anytime.
0: Michelle Bachman. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, that was mostly mostly her husband that was cutting me off because you know I was, I was starting to ask the tough questions and I was asking them fairly. You know, I, I wasn't coming at her as if I was accusing. I just wanted her to answer honestly so that the crowd we had the. Bluffton, Hilton Head, and Beaufort Tea Party in the room there. That's three tea party groups, which covered the entire county, and that's a lot of people, and when he cut her off and rushed her out of the room, it didn't go too well with the tea parties there. There was was not a lot of happiness there.
1: Oh, boy.
7: (laughs) Annie,
1: Curtis, you had to be there to love it.
7: Yeah, I
0: missed that one. <laughs> no. But well, you, you also had was... Newt.
7: Didn't you, didn't you have Newt yes. come to your luncheon? He sat the whole hour.
0: No, uh, Newt Gingrich was doing a campaign rally. And that was in the Bluffton area, and it was hosted by the Bluffton, Buford, and Hilton Head Tea Parties. And Yanni and I had the stage. That was the one where we almost killed him. <laughs> when he went to step on the stage, it wasn't anchored right, and it started to tilt with him walking up it. <laughs> so, you know we got it anchored down by sitting on the other end. <laughs> we had a bunch of us the entire time the rally, but prior to him doing the rally, there was a luncheon with the Tea Party leaders and other dignitaries, and he sat down at the table with the Bluffton Tea Party leaders and myself uh and we were talking about agenda twenty one and his comment to us was what's agenda 21? And meanwhile, what threw us is that he wasn't aware of what he voted on. He had already voted for agenda 21 prior to the rally without realizing exactly someone, an aide must have told him, oh, go to X, Y, Z and never followed through to what was rest of it that was in the bill. And when we explained it to him, he goes, oh, oh, I didn't know. And immediately after the luncheon, I was to have an exclusive one on one interview with him for only five minutes. And the aide was standing there right at my shoulder. It wasn't five minutes he gave me, he gave me a full 20 minutes. During that entire 20 minutes, the official press, I would say I'm not a, I am unofficial, you know, I'm just a podcaster, I'm not a a journalist or anything like that. I'm just a talking head, I'm just a local citizen. And the rest of them were standing on the other side of the glass window of the restaurant, waiting to do the interview with him. You know how they go, speaker Gingrich, speaker Gingrich, and rattle off the questions. You know, and he'll answer one here and one there. He sat with me for a full 20 minutes. After sitting having lunch with us for another 25 minutes, so it was ended up being close to an hour. He stayed with us, um, but I had the exclusive one-on-one, no one else. And I rushed from the rally. Back here to do the broadcast with Mike. Mike's call just dropped off, and it was it was fun. The only thing I kick myself for, if anyone goes back to the archives and just Google Southern Sense Newt Gingrich, I kick myself. I let a question go, and I am to this day I'm angry with myself for not picking up on the question. It had to do with automatic. Um, was it automatic weapons or uh, was it was with uh, the AK? AR-15s or something like that. Uh, I forget what they. Oh, assault rifles. I think the question had to do with assault rifles, and he answered that he was for AK-27. banning. Uh, I, I forget. It was it was a while ago, but he was for the banning of these assault rifles, and unfortunately, my bad. I wasn't prepared for that answer, and I let it slide. And what I know today compared to what I know now. I would have to admit it was a learning curve, doing the show and learning to ask questions and then picking up where I can challenge the individual. And I wasn't that good just yet. It's not like what we just did with Steve Carr. You know, Here I could pick up and listen to the argument that he was giving me and see, all right, here's your hole in the argument, and here is where I think we can counter you and possibly offer you a solution at the same time you notice I don't tear the person down I say can you look at it this way maybe if we go in this direction and that's that's the type of conversation we need to have across the nation instead of locking horns and saying I'm on this side and you're on that side and there's no there's no way there's no way we can come to a solution here so we will forever pit against each other so you'll have the anti-trumps and the pro-trumps you'll have the progressive liberals versus the conservatives, and you—you you don't have to, you don't even sit down to find if there's even a conversation to be had, and that's that, I think that's what we've lost in this nation, and I, it comes back to the change in society that's giving us a rise to violence, to suicide, to drug addiction, alcohol addiction. We have dehumanized our fellow citizens, our fellow human beings. We are a voice on a microphone on the other side of a smart device. We're not a human being. We're not a face. We we rate ourselves by how many friends we have on Facebook, not how many people you can open up your phone book, pick up the phone and say, hey, come on over. Let's have a bite to eat or let's go shopping together or come on over. Let's cook a dinner together. That human interaction is starting to disappear. We, you sit down at a restaurant and you see everyone's head is buried in their smart device. Instead of, you used to sit down at dinner and have a conversation. Hey, well, how did your day go today? What's your plans for the weekend? Or well, What do you think about this? Boy, there's a concert going on down at the street. You want to go to it and sit and have fun? Let's go bowling. You're not doing that. You're, you're behind your smart device. And it's how many friends on Instagram? How many posts back to you? That's how popular are. They're an anonymous name on the Internet. And we had that troll that kept on hitting us on the last show. He was an anonymous name. And because he felt anonymous, he felt he was free to attack us, free to commit two felonies. And I've contacted Blog Talk Radio, and they're looking into it because I swear – if I get this person's full identity, IP address, true IP address, and everything else, which I'm hoping to do, I am filing charges with the FEC, I'm sorry, the FCC and the FBI because he made a threat against my mom in the chat room. He cloned and posted my phone, personal home phone number several times. I'm going after him. This cop is not sitting down, and they messed with the wrong cop. And this is the problem you sit there behind anonymity. And you feel you can destroy a person, shut them up, and shut them down. Well, it's got to stop. Again, I'm on another rant here, Curtis.
3: That's the way they work, though. Um, Like um, Antifa, you know, they wear these masks and things, and they feel invincible. They don't want you to know their identity, but they sure want you to know that they're present and in the most violent of ways. Me, there's nothing but a modern day KKK that's
0: just wearing black. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, look at how many people are being assaulted because they have Trump gear on. Well, I'm going to have Trump gear on. I'm also going to have NYPD gear on. Well, I'm not going to have my gear. I'm going to have an NYPD shirt on um, my 9 11 shirt. And I just found out my hat, my NYPD hat is so old. <laughs> it's disintegrating. So every time I pick it up, I've got. Flex all over my desk So I guess instead of my NYPD hat I'll put on my Trump Because you saw I've got three different Trump hats he uh, will be wearing one I'll be wearing one <laughs> So we're going to be at the rally okay. for, uh, That we'll have tomorrow Up in Orangeburg, South Carolina So look in the news You might see my face With the sign out
6: there <laughs> But that's it you, but you, You've got to
3: Go ahead i I got called out for calling out um anti the, anti the movement my relative who really thought they were like the good guys now, how he could get that perspective you know in his head that they are the good guys you know i I blame him on uh the news that he watched. You know, they always want to portray conservatives as the bad guys and the instigators, and we never wear hoods or anything. It's just like that young kid that they, um, you know, smeared his, his reputation because he was looking at a, a native Indian, and and they say he was mocking the guy. Well, that kid and the family are suing you know, whoever it was, the media that put that information out there. But as always, they never tell the whole story. And they don't want no, the whole if, story out there. They want to skew it, you know, that it looks bad on our part. And their guys if, look like the good guys.
0: If you watch the whole video, the 45 minutes prior to that incident, and there is a video up there, I watched the whole thing, that the way those kids were being harassed uh, by that uh, group of What did they call themselves? Black Jews or something like that. I forget what it was. And they were name-calling and calling these kids out. And they're supposed to be religious individuals. But they were nothing short of another branch of the Black Panthers, the way they were behaving. And some of the bigoted things that they were saying to these kids, these were high school kids. These weren't full-grown adults, you know, out there, you know, doing the protests. But now you go after children. Because children are vulnerable, and they're easy to attack, and they're not mature enough yet to know exactly how to respond when attacked in this way. And this one kid, when he stood down and faced down this Native American who approached him, he didn't approach them. He went into the middle of their group and inserted himself into the situation, choosing that kid specifically thinking that he would be an easy target. And sure, the optics weren't great if you only looked at that little part of the clip. But if you read why he just stood there smiling, he said, if you actually read in the interview afterwards, he said, I was smiling because I was loving the man. I was showing my Christian faith through love. And I was just showing him that I love him by smiling to him. And all of a sudden, it was one of the most racist possible things he could do. And the media played it up and several media outlets are being sued and good for them. I hope they lose their shirts.
3: And I think that's what we need to do. Start suing these guys, these, you know, media types. You get into their pockets deep enough, they'll cut it out.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, there's, there's so much more that's going on, and I'm sorry our other guest isn't showing up, uh, but he is an attorney, and that we know whenever we book an attorney, there's court, and he's in the middle of several court cases. Uh, as I said, uh, Kurt Schlechter uh, shows up at the uh, evening, usually on uh, Mark Levin or Sean Hannity or things like that or Brett Thayer. Uh so I'm sure that he got caught up because I emailed him just yesterday, and he says he's game. But, again, with everything that's going on in the news today, I'm sure that he got caught up. Um, We could talk about the Mueller investigation uh, and the interview with Bob Barr on uh, Fox News compared to Mueller's statement yesterday. Uh, But I think mainstream media Outlets have covered every single end of that from one end to the other. and Every single person has a completely, <laughs> completely different take. You cannot hear two people say the same exact thing, uh, especially when Mueller said that he didn't not say Trump didn't commit a crime. I mean, the double speak and everything in that it was just horrific. But what I thought was funny is that um, today Trump announced the Mexican tariffs. I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. They had just two days ago, one thousand arrests in a single day. And if you watch the video of these people, they're pouring through the fence. all the people. And Trump said enough. Maybe, enough. Maybe. Yeah. Congress is is not giving me the money to build the fence. There's that group out there, build the wall, that in uh, around the El Paso area, in New Mexico started to build the, the wall with the private funds that people have been donating. They had enough to start the construction and you can see them where they were excavating and starting to erect the wall. The mayor of El Paso put an injunction against them saying, you didn't have the permits. And they're saying, yes, we did. And they're saying, no, you didn't. The permits were sitting on the desk and you never gave them back to you. And they're claiming they got the permits. So there's a little tight, uh, tug of war going on with build the wall and the mayor of El Paso, and I think the ACLU got involved in the, in the middle of that too. But in the interim, Trump said, hey, listen, you're stopping us from building the wall. You're stopping us from giving the, the funds. The uh, governor of New Mexico pulled the National Guard troops off the border so we don't have them to aid with the security and the processing of these illegal aliens coming across. And yet New Mexico governor is asking the federal feds for, for for funds and assistance, because what? She's got an overflow of illegal aliens within the state of New Mexico that they can't handle, so they need help. Uh Uh-uh, but you're not going to keep your troops on the border. Anyway, he's going to... I like the the, part... I like the part of the Nancy thing. Go ahead. uh, Starting June 10th, so Mexico has between now and June 10th, to decide what they're gonna do with these illegal aliens traveling through the state of Mexico. And it starts off at only 5% tariff. And already I'm hearing, oh, the price of groceries, avocados are gonna go through the roof. And it'll go up by October. If they still haven't done anything at all to stem this tide and help turn it back, it'll be as high as 25%. Now that is high, I agree. I don't think it's gonna ever reach that. I don't think it's gonna go above 5%. But hey, If the cost of avocados are going to go up 5%, I think that's something that we can live with because poor people don't buy avocados. It is the snotty upper class that buy – the yuppies that buy the avocados, the elite that avocado is the fruit to eat. I can't stand the damn things anyway, so it doesn't bother me. Uh, we've got callers in on the chat room. If this is our next guest, please press one so I can bring you on and uh, we can continue the show. Otherwise, I'll assume that you are listening. And it is, let's bring along Kurt Schlichter. How are you doing, Kurt, today? Colonel, how are you today?
8: I'm doing fine. Sorry, clients always come before radio
0: hits, so I'm a little uh, late. That's exactly That's exactly what I said, because it's not the first time an attorney got got held up before they came on. I want to welcome you to the show. And I I have a blast. Whenever I see you up on Fox News or something, I have an absolute blast watching you because you you shoot from the hip, you know. And I I love dealing with someone that shoots straight from the hip and tells it like it is, you know. I was talking about these tariffs that uh, Trump is now imposing on Mexico starting June 10th. I thought it was a brilliant move. But the first thing that Grassley comes out is, oh, he can't do that. Well, watch him. Well, watch you know,
1: him. I,
8: I – so what's what's Grassley's answer? You know, I, I, keep, I keep hearing the elite tell us, you can't do this, you can't do that. But the, all the elite's done in the last 20 years, and, you know, I keep going through this – you know they gave us the Iraq war, they gave us the, the Wall Street meltdown, they gave us Obamacare, they gave us the finale of Game of Thrones. It's disappointment and failure after disappointment and failure. And I don't think they're worried about it. and you've got a guy named like Trump who, who doesn't buy into their preconceptions about what can and can't be. And he, ta- he, he steps out of the envelope, he, kicks, he rips the envelope open. And he does he he says, "I'm going to leverage our power ruthlessly to meet a goal that will help the American people, and the elite goes nuts. I don't think the elite's worried that the terrorists will fail. I think that it's worried that the American people are going to realize that all the things we've been told we can't have, like secure borders." Uh, like uh, a justice system that treats everybody equally, like a uh, foreign policy that doesn't involve our sons and daughters getting into wars that we don't think are worth winning but are we're, we're fine with letting a few people die, I, I think they're worried that we're going to see that there are different options. And they just want to take options off the table. Why is it, Why is... A tariff on Mexico off the table. Why is a five percent tariff on Mexico until it stops this outrageous illegal conduct that it winks at off the table? Why is it morally wrong? I don't understand because it
0: isn't. You know, it's funny because you know I hear the talking heads going, "Oh, the price of of groceries is going to go up. The price of avocados is going to explode." Who cares?
6: Well, look. I, 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 if avocados
8: are important, if avocados are important to me, I'll spend more money on avocados. And if not, okay, I'll give up avocados. I need my country's borders secured. And if you're so concerned about avocados, elite then you can do the things necessary to secure the border. You can build a wall. You can reform this ridiculous asylum thing. You can give our people adequate resources. If it's so damn important to have low-cost avocados, if guacamole is the most important thing at issue, then do the things you need to do to keep avocados cheap. And what you need to do to keep avocados cheap, apparently, is your damn
0: job. Well, you know, no one asked the question, why are we importing these fruits and vegetables from Mexico? Oh yeah, I forgot. The Delta smelt where California was the major producer of our fruits and vegetables of avocados and almonds the, and all these wonderful things that are being imported, which brings what? My Yes, exactly. illegal aliens now.
8: You drive through central California, you get out of the blitz. Look, I live a mile from the ocean, okay? I'm a BMW driving Los Angeles trial lawyer. I live in the nice area. You know, I don't have the bums here. I don't have the desperation. Uh, you get out of my little islands, and you have, in many places, a third-world country, not of necessity but of choice. This should be the California, and I've lived all over. I've been in 48 or 50 states. I've lived all over California. I've lived in the south. I've lived in the north. I've lived in the midwest. I've lived in California. California is a could be, again, a wonderful place where you can come for opportunity, where you can't stop things from growing as long as you pour water on the ground, where people have ideas, where the weather's wonderful, where it's an exciting place to live. You know, you got your palm trees, you got your ocean, and they have ruined it with this idiocy. Let people, you know, you drive through the Central Valley, and I wrote about it in my book, People's Republic which is uh, a novel uh, about California that splits off and the rest of the country becomes a, you know, fully blue state. And, and you know, it just – and I, I essentially wrote about what, what is now. It, it, it is a, a mass of poverty, desperation. You go through these giant fields that should be full of uh, produce, and they're empty because, you know, the water's going to some bait fish. It's ridiculous. You know, I,
0: I, These are all choices. I remember, drive, I, I remember driving through California back in the 1980s, and, oh, God, you guys do not let people get on and off the, the ramp there. I'm telling you. Oh, I, I have but, to
8: disagree. I think Californians are the most uh, polite drivers in the country, absolutely, <laughs> no, I, I, and the best bo- drivers, absolutely. <laughs> and Texans and Bostonians are the worst.
6: <laughs> anyway. I'll give, Californ- I never- I, I'll
8: give California – I'll harass California all day and night, and they they have trouble driving the rain, but I think driver for driver, I've driven all over the country, I think California drivers are the best. Fight me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it's funny because there was one time I I was taking my mother to a cruise ship down in uh, uh, Manhattan, and um, I had just come out of the police academy. Uh, I was a little old, to admit that, Um, but – I ended up having to go up on the curb. My mother's screaming. You know, I'm driving through Manhattan. I'm cutting off taxi oh, drivers and everything. She was, what? I said, oh, this is how they taught us to drive in the police academy. <laughs> I think Manhattan. I think Manhattan
8: has bad driving <laughs> forced upon you.
0: <laughs> oh man, uh, but I, I remember driving through the valleys and everything out there in, yep. in California around the foothills, and I also I, I flash back to remembering reading East of Eden, and I said. He got it right. I mean, the, yeah. the, what he wrote about the beauty there and, and the devastation just breaks my heart. And I've traveled the globe. It, killed. I mean, killed. I've been through uh, Europe. I've been all through the Caribbean and South America. I've seen a devastation in Colombia before Colombia turned around. I saw the beauty of Venezuela and Caracas and the beaches and, and then the gorgeousness of the, the whole place before it went socialist. And it breaks my heart. I got to admit, I owned a travel agency at one point and worked for American (laughs) Express. Uh, Before I I just threw my hands up and walked away. Uh, But when you see what's going on and the media not reporting it, you know, what do you do? How do you get that message across that you know we're letting our, our everything to go to hell in a handbasket because the progressives want their way and instead of seeing the benefit we can do to everyone to lift them up, no, no, just tear everything F- down.
8: Failure is a choice. And I I, I was uh, guest hosting uh, on uh, KBC, which is a big talk station in L.A. today for Larry O'Connor, great guy. And uh, you know I was I was talking to people about. Why are we tolerating this? Because decline is a choice. We don't have to accept it. I don't understand why we have to accept homeless camps with hypodermic needles and human waste on the sidewalk. Why are we? Why do we feel? Because people seem to feel that they're, they're calling them. Well, what can we do about it? I don't know. This is America. You know, we we can elect officials who will do some about it. We we aren't. You know, we we. You got to get off your rear end and fight. If you want, you know, if you want freedom, if you want liberty, if you want prosperity, you're going to have to do something because you got a whole class of people for whom that is not an objective. That's an obstacle to what they want, which is their power and their control over you.
0: You know, I, I got to tell you, I, I'll probably end up with my face on the news tomorrow. Morning, uh, because De Blasio, Mayor De Blasio, is coming uh-huh. on his. Campaign trail to here to South Carolina, and as you can tell, oh, I'm not sure a to South people There, uh, no, actually, uh, Patty Lynch, who I actually worked with, he's the president of the PBA. Uh, we were both in the same command, same squad. Uh, he's been running the PBA. Oh, good Lord, I love what the, what he's doing. He sent out emails to all the retirees, so I then spread it out to a couple of retirees I knew. We're going to be driving up to Orangeburg, and we're going to be protesting De Blasio. Outside of his rally, which is at a church, it's about a two-hour ride up. You know, I'm I'm not very good sitting in a car for that long, and neither is my husband. But we're going to do it. We're going to get good. our voices out there, and I'm, I'm I'm thinking of a placard to bring uh, with me. It's uh, just something like "Say No to De or something like that.
8: I like it. <laughs> so look, that's what we, look. We, look I, I write a I wrote a book called Militant Normals," and you know you can get on Amazon uh, about six months ago, and Normal people who don't live politics day in and day out don't want to do politics. If they want to do politics, they do it all the time. It's, for me, it's like kind of a hobby. I, I like doing it. But that that's not the center of my life. And it's not the center of most people. Most people would say, hey, I don't want to be involved in politics. I want politicians who make things run, who make it safe, make it so I can raise my family, and so I can you know exercise my liberty the way I feel like. And if you do that, you know I know you're going to take a little off the top because that's what people in power do. But you do a good job. I'm not going to ask too many questions. Just handle things. And for a long time, you know, people would handle things well. But every once in a while, you see it through our history. They've screwed up. And we, had, we normal people had to say, now I gotta, we got to do this, huh? Okay. And they get up, and they you know, vote out Jimmy Carter. And they elect Donald Trump. Uh, and they vote no on vote against McGovern, and every once in a while they stand up and say, I didn't want to have to get involved, but I'm going to now, because this has just gotten, you know, you got to understand who the boss is. This is my country. I built it. I feed it. I fuel it. I help defend it. And you don't get it. You don't. I, there's no situation where I end up being a serf. I am a citizen, and my rights will be respected, Period, and I I, I think that's what we have to do. And I think the elite should, instead of looking on us with contempt, should look on us with fear. Oh my gosh, they're going to vote me out of office. They'll derail my gravy train. Uh, I think we've done that to a lot of Republicans. I think uh, there are a lot of Republicans who um, are a lot softer than uh, uh, they make themselves out to be, but they—they're hard because they know we've got requirements. You know, I think I think your own Nikki Haley has uh, got an issue there. She's going to have to show, you know, that she's woke, that she's tough. And we will see whether she is, because if she doesn't, there's a lot of suspicion about her out there. I'm not sure I'm one who uh, – uh, I, I don't have a problem with her. But I expect her to take my side in a fight and understand that she is there for me. And I'm just using her as an example. I'm not picking on her a bunch of people who are probably gonna run in the next few years. But I'm I'm using you know, she she needs to be woke to us. I love using that word woke. It's so
0: stupid. Yeah, Nikki Haley Nikki Haley does have to be watched because she can come forward strong on a lot of things. Um uh, yeah. but we ended up descending on uh Columbia a couple of years back in mass. We had busloads of people uh protesting a gas tax hike. And she was yeah. for it. And, all, the, um, all, I would, all the
8: smart people were for the gas tax.
0: Why, yeah. I got together
8: with my friends at the country club, and we decided, uh, you know, a gas tax seems like a really good idea. Yeah, did yeah. you ask guys? Did you ask?
7: Did
6: right. you ask the
8: guy who is going to build your house, the guy who's uh, going to fix your car? Did you ask the guy who's uh, teaching your kids or selling insurance, or maybe the guy at, uh, uh, you know, Fort Leje- or, uh, Camp Lejeune? Did you did you ask those guys because they may have a different view? And you better you know we are done accepting politicians who say the right thing. Now it's time to do. You got to show me.
0: Exactly. 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 And what was funnier is we were there uh, between on the floor between the two chambers as they were going back and forth, back and forth negotiating between the House and the Senate with the final bill, and. I put my little note into my state senator. He comes out to address us, and he's starting to tell us. And this guy had a habit of doing that. He would do that at my Tea Party meetings. And he'd kind oh, of he was going to tell you down. stuff? That sounds like a big Yeah. Day. So, no, and then I just, like, stopped him, and I says, no, you don't understand. We don't want this gas tax. And he goes, what do you want me to do, work miracles? And I says, you yeah, know, now you get it. That's why we elected you. Yeah, I got expectations. Get it? Done. <laughs> Look, I,
4: I, and, and these guys, you know, I get so many of these politicians.
8: I, I got in a fight with AOC on Twitter. And all these people are, like, how dare you yell at this woman? And I'm like, she's a member of Congress. How do you think the chain of command works? Let me explain the chain of command. God, me, an American citizen. There is your chain of command. If you'll notice, there is no politician in it. There may be some below me. Further down on the chain of command, over which I have command, and I'm a retired Army colonel, I understand the chain of command, but no politician is in the command over me. They work for me, and I expect them to execute the objectives I assign. And if they don't, then I will find someone who will. What are your questions? Right. We're done
0: we're down to our last 4 minutes and I I'm sorry we didn't have you longer but we I'm keep sorry you back on. It, It's such a pleasure and you know just to show how much a gentleman and what a wonderful person you are I originally reached oh. reached out to you on Twitter of all things which I very very rarely do and I said well let me let me just try and you answered right away and you are a gift from God to us well, and
6: I, you, oh, you make oh, my stop. day I meet. I just
8: show up. Look look I I I I get. I think I use Twitter differently than other people, and it, it it's funny to me. Oh, I didn't want to bother you, but well, then, but that's what, my job is to be contacted and talked to and to, and to go to. I I it's not a it's not a problem. I'm just a guy. I'm oh, thank you for getting back to me. Why wouldn't I get back to you? It sounds like yeah, that's common courtesy. You, you reached out. <laughs> I, I I just. It, I, I like that Twitter allows you to contact people you might not otherwise get to know or hear from or experience, and you can talk to them directly. I made so many friends off Twitter. It's weird. I'm 54, and I'm still in the process of making new friends. Now, a lot of people – now, like my dad's age, my dad didn't go out and make like a lot of new friends. I guess somebody came into the church or whatever, he would make friends. But, but it, 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 the, the thing about social media is I now have friends all over the country. And I, when I go and actually, and I'm physically with them, they're 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 just the same, and you get exactly. a really good view of who the people are, eh, for better or worse, from social media. People <laughs> will get with me and go, you know, you're exactly, you know, like you are at Twitter. You probably swear more, uh, <laughs> maybe have more beers, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but I just think it's just such a wonderful thing, and I want to use it to reach out. You know, the the idea that you get a a Los Angeles trial lawyer. Uh, on uh, a southern focused stage and that I might have something that you guys think is worth me saying.
0: I think that's just cool. Well, we've got to wind it up because I'm now down to below my last two minutes, Kurt. I, it is a blessing to have you on and that's how I, I met all of my co-hosts through these social media and then got to meet them in person as well as a great many other people. Human interaction we were discussing is so lacking in today's society and we need people like you to show It's it's necessary. So, Kurt, I want to thank you for joining us, and I'll contact you and have you come back on again.
8: Thank you. That'd be fun.
0: All right. God bless. All right, (laughs) Kurt Schlechter, check him out. He's often up on Fox uh, Business, Fox News, and uh, Headline News. Uh, We're down to our last minute, Curtis, and I don't think we're going to have time for our closing number. Uh, We will be back next week. Uh, We're lining up a great show for next week already. Um, I'm not going to give it away. I don't want to ruin it by giving it away. I apologize to those that were trying to get into the chat room, I don't know what is going on, but they're having technical difficulties, and it's lasted the whole show. Some other people are trying to listen in over on Facebook. I don't know what is going on on their side. I'll find out over the weekend and try to get it up and running the way it should be. So I want to thank everyone for joining us. And I hope everything works out (laughs) for the next show, because I know anything broadcast tonight is going to be the same difficulty. So I guess until then, unless you've got a last-minute thing to say, I would say good night and God bless to you all.
3: Just be safe out there. That's all.